0: Tonight's talk is Consciousness, Creativity, and the Brain. And um, if you have a golf ball size consciousness, when you read a book, you'll have a golf ball size understanding. When you look out, a golf ball size awareness. And when you wake up in the morning, a golf ball size wakefulness. But if you could expand that consciousness, then you read the book more understanding, you look out more awareness. And when you wake up more wakefulness, it's consciousness. And there's an ocean of pure, vibrant consciousness inside each one of us. And it's right at the source and base of mind, right at the source of thought. And it's also at the source of all matter.
1: Cause you should love God More than you like cash Living a fast life Or bring an end of your life fast Worship the Lord He created the earth and heaven And please read John chapter 1 verse 7 And try to walk in the light Nobody perfect brethren But I believe the words of Proverbs chapter 11 And I ain't trying to knock nobody else's religion I just opened up my eyes And I made a wise decision See Satan divide and conquer to conquer He need division But it's only one God It should only be one one vision. When you walk with God, no strength is lost, so keep walking. When you talk with God, no breath is lost, so keep talking. When you wait on God, no time is lost, so keep waiting. Some people hate, but no love is lost. Keep hating. The evil won't survive when my God defeats Satan. The water's gonna roar and the mountains will keep shaking. Therefore, to praise God what we here for, the devil gonna try to stop you, but God got you
2: welcome back to episode 198 of the alpha male buddhist from brooklyn podcast i'm your host miguel so as you can see through the title of this episode we're going to go a little deep on this today and it's a real critical episode because you want to be aware of this and and get this download you know in this day and time that we're in right now, needless to say, we all know what's what's taking place. Or most of us, you know, some people are still wearing double masks as they drive their car in backcountry roads where they're not within, you know, six miles of a human being, but that mask is on. That shows you how brainwashed and controlled they are. So the name of this episode is you know, sorcery and magic spells are controlling you. Enslavement of the simple minded ancient Babylonian symbology and word spells reclaim your mind one leash for 10,000 necks and one level below that it's uh, logos, symbols, etymology weaves the allegorical chain around our collective necks that's that's a mouthful but that's basically the direction of this episode right What I'm seeing is there's becoming a very, very clear divide between those who have the true understanding, and those that are under this sorcery and this these magic spells being cast on us. You know, cast on us through words and through logos and symbology. You know, from uh, ancient Babylon. You know, because this for those of you who think that this is something new that just came up, that you know they're worshiping Satan on the Super Bowl halftime show or Taylor Swift to say all of these different things, right? And it's not new. This has been around for thousands of years. You know, if you look at the old Babylonian Talmud uh, and the sick stuff that's in, and this has nothing to do with religion or people or anything like that. It just has to do with the truth of what's out there and what's taking place. I mean, every every culture and every people have good and bad, as you know. So, but. It, it's getting to the point right, right now where the fun and games are over and we need to start thinking about uh, what what is taking place and how we're being controlled, right? Why is it, you know, let's say two years ago, not even that long ago, you would go shopping and you drop, you know, 50 bucks or you drop 100 bucks and you'd have some chicken and a couple of pieces of steak, milk, juice, butter and all that fun. So those of you who shop know what I'm talking about, but go drop 100 bucks now, even at Walmart and see what you have in your cart, so... It's it's time to put the toys away and get serious with life and, and, and have an understanding of what's taking place right now, right? And what it is is they're casting these, these spells on us and those who have the simple minds can't connect the dots and figure out what's really taking place. It's very, very subtle. And these people have been working on this for a very, very long time and they're cracking open them old, what do they call them, grimoires and all that weird stuff, you know, all that satanic stuff, so... We're going to jump into this topic right now. And now that we're on that note, um, I I recommend a lot of people uh, to measure and to validate the content that you're consuming. Yeah, it's cool to watch some dumb videos and cute dog videos and, and such because I'm guilty of it too. You know, I look at the little Labrador puppies and all that stuff on Instagram. It's a very cute and very, very relaxing and entertaining. But don't don't spend your whole day doing that and and listening listening to content that just runs in endless circles with no destination or no that doesn't feed you let's put it in, in that way right there's a there's so much stuff out there that i'm noticing that it's again it's just perpetuating the spell that's being cast upon us because it's diverting your attention away from where it should be right yeah you can chill and watch some fun stuff and funny pranks and stuff that's cool but measured to a degree and focus on feeding your mind and and, uh, edifying yourself and learning about what's taking place right now and all of the sorcery that's taking place in the world today because they make it quite evident what they're doing you can see it with Beyonce, who's the Queen Bee, and all of this, you know, whatever, whatever's taking place right now. You can see this, Taylor Swift, and all of this satanic stuff that's, these that spells that they're casting on us, so. Yeah, let's get into it. Now, you might say to yourself, look at the title and say, yeah, symbology, or symbols, and not really think anything of it, but it it's pretty amazing, but the way symbols and symbology works and the sacred geometry and all of these things. And again, both of these are a double-edged sword because geometry is not necessarily good or evil. It's it's on how you use it, right? But when it comes to symbology, you might say, oh yeah, symbols and the Illuminati pyramid and you know whatever whatever these different symbols that they throw out there. But when you look at it like people are Basically, selling their souls just to get designer goods like uh, what is that pedophile company? Balenciaga, uh, Valencia, Balenciaga, whatever the name is. It's pedophiles, uh, Gucci, and um, Louis Vuitton, Hermès, Mercedes Benz, Apple. You know all, all of this, and what I I guess what the mechanics of how it unfolds is that they'll get a person from a very young age and indoctrinate them with these different symbols and this symbology where it goes into their subconscious mind and it kind of filters everything else out except sense and desire gratification where a person validates their existence by getting these expensive, basically, symbols because that's what they are. When you look at a Louis Vuitton thing, it's all all it has on it. And, and the pattern on it is just basically LV, LV, LV you know, again, symbology that's controlling them, and they're not even really aware of it, you know, give me a pair of, um, I don't know, some Walmart, you know, hard denim jeans and whatever, and I'm good, you know, it doesn't have to have any, any logos or anything, again, you know, if you have one or two nice little things, it's understandable, you know, just to have it for novelty, just to have something that, you know, hypothetically is cool or whatever, but don't buy into this marketing and this symbology and, and, and this control mechanism, these spells that they're casting on us, right? So it's important to be aware of the power of these tools that they're using against us. And you need to remove yourself away from the control mechanisms that they're putting in front of us and these spells that they're casting on us and and identify and realize the self, who you are. I say that all the time, but if you don't get it, it that's not a good thing, man. You want to know who the self is, the actual self, and the separate self, right? Because what's happening is these people that you see driving around, double masks, again, while they're, you know, you know, 10 miles away from anybody in some backcountry road, and they're double mask driving their car with the windows rolled up, are in essence npcs or non-playable characters or to put it another way basically you're just a guy pushing a shopping cart down the street in the uh, grand theft auto 5 you know and that's really one of the reasons why uh, really must understand that life is not a game or just fun in games i mean there's a responsibility that everybody has when they punch a ticket and come into this um To this realm to this place that we live in and now, it's important to understand what the guidelines, the rules, the pitfalls, the traps, the whole terrain of what it is to have the existence of a human being and in God's creation, right? But the thing is, everything around you is like a like a seal, you know, smacking its fence together, barking for, for fish. At the carnival, you know, it's like everything in existence right now is fighting for one's attention. And as I said, the biggest commodity right now is someone's attention. That's why you have all of these people on social media getting millions of dollars just for, you know, talking on Instagram or whatever it is that they do, millions, hundreds of thousands, whatever the number is. But the currency of our existence right now is a person's attention. And you have to wonder why sometimes, why, why is it so important to get your attention, and one of the main reasons to get your attention, whether, whether they mean to do it or not, you might be looking at some TikTok dance or something like that, and they don't mean to be doing any harm, they're just having fun, but in essence, they're pulling your attention away from where it should be, right? So, that's, you know, that's part of the fabric of this net that they're casting out to catch us all and enslave us, and, and basically to enslave our minds. Is to get your attention away from where you need it to be. That's why it's so important to be able to abide by yourself alone and in silence. You know, if you live in a crowded place, so it's hard for you to find that. Then just take a walk in the park or down the down the way. You know, with no sound, even with sound headphones, whatever it is, but by yourself in solitude, and just to reflect. You know, it's always nice to walk in nature, to walk through the park amongst the trees, and you know, you could hear the animals singing. It, it, it puts you more in touch with who you truly are you know, and why you're here. And I always say why you're here, but and, and the reason really to be is, is to realize this self and who you are and what your responsibility is. And Basically, that that's the long and the short of it. The most rewarding thing that you could have is something that you've received as a result of your hard work you know, and, and effort that you've put out in thinking. Like myself, like one of the greatest things that I like to do is learn, uh, gain knowledge and understanding, Reading and then connecting things together to see ultimately how all of these pieces of the jigsaw fit together, you know, in life. So that whenever a problem is presented to you or a situation is put in front of you, you basically, in real time, like in a very, very quick way, you kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You disassemble it piece by piece and then reconstruct it or reassemble it. In a way that you have a better understanding of it prior to seeing the problem, you take, you take took it apart, you dissected it, and put it back together again. Like the old proverbial solution to the problem, like the lock has uh, the solution or the image of the solution already built into the lock itself, right? So, and another way I like to look at it is in the Dao De Ching 11, 30 spokes connect at one hub. What is not there makes the wheel useful clay is formed into a vase what is not there makes the vase useful windows and doors are cut from a room what is not there makes the room useful learn to make use of what is by that by using that which isn't and in essence i find especially as i've gotten older that that last phrase there learn to make use of what is by using that which isn't i found it to be beyond profound you know I'll find myself doing a little project in the backyard or just doing something. And um, I would have cut a piece off of whatever, the shed or whatever it is. I'll cut a piece off of something. And I'll turn around to go do something. And I need another piece on the other side. And it turns out that the piece that I have in my hand that I just cut off is exactly what I need. Learn to use that which is by using that which isn't. And I'll just insert this. See, if you guys haven't reached out to me yet, I have... uh, my email is alphamalebuddhist.gmail.com. I have a book, a handbook. It's probably a total of 50 pages in total, which is called The Academy of Liberation Handbook 1 and 2. And what it is basically is a lot of books that I've, because I get questioned by you guys, and you guys trying to, you know, see what I've read or different views that I have and everything like that. And this is a real good um, scaffolding, you know, to build your, your, your base of knowledge on from from my from my previous experience so I'll have authors there that I like in movies and different thoughts on philosophy and different uh little writings that I have so reach out to me uh, so alpha male buddhist. gmail.com I will reply with the PDF which is the an mp3 file so you can listen to it or the PDF book that you could read a couple of little pictures in there you know the uncarved block and such but it's free. You're not going to get on a mailing list. I'm not going to solicit you. I don't sell names, anything like that. I'm just a small-time dude podcasting out of my uh, spare room in my house, man, you know, chilling with my Labrador retriever. So, yeah. Reach out to me. I will get the book out to you. You can use all of the content on there as you wish. It's there, you know, for growth and, uh, you know, for people to gain from some of the experience that I've... that I The way I've gained experience from other people, other readings and other teachings that I've read, i like to pass it on with some of... Of the learnings and the uh, wisdom that I've accumulated over the years and, you know, pass it on and share with people that can benefit from it. So that's the Academy of Liberation Handbook 1 and 2. It's about a 50-page PDF and an MP3 file. Email me, I will reply back with it on there and you can check it out, you know. So, yeah, let's get back on track. It's, um, it's interesting where in the opening i had you know if you wake up with a golf ball size you know whatever it is consciousness or whatever that's gonna be the way you see the whole world or the way you interpret the whole world because people especially lately with all the brainwashing and the spells that they're casting on us are in a situation where they're living a self-limiting life you know and they're not really truly self-actualized they are they are doing it to themselves so as, as the phrase that i've recently began to use is you know one leash for ten thousand necks it's like they're so easily controlled and so easily brainwashed that um it's not even funny right and just look around you and that's what that's what you see these days so you got to be real real careful one of the people that i've been listening to lately and i did play him on a prior podcast is uh, michael tasarian uh, he's an iris researcher and author from dublin or ireland somewhere but the dude the dude got it together i don't agree with a hundred percent of what he says there's some things that he'll say or whatever i guess you know we don't all agree on everything but man this guy got it down cold man you listen to him and you're gonna learn something it's michael tasarian t what is it t-a-s-e-r-i-o-n i I believe it is tasarian t-s-a-r-i-o-n i think it is and I find myself listening to this guy and just um, downloading as he speaks. Yeah, most of what he's mentioning is kind of stuff I'm aware of and things that I know of and everything like that. But, man, this guy will get into some esoteric uh, authors and teachings and just combining different things. And just you could tell the guy's put in that, that hard work. So it's Michael Tesser and you got to go, go check him out. I think he's got a podcast that's called Unslaved. And I think it's by subscription or whatever, so I don't pay you know for subscriptions or Patreons, but... He's got a lot of free content out there too, and, it's, and if you did join his uh, his Patreon or whatever, it would be a good thing. The guy, the guy really um, has a good grip on everything that's going on and good good teachings, you know. Michael Tesserin, to go check him out. But anyway, it's it, the the world that we're living in right now. People are like so easily manipulated with the etymology, the words, and the associations, and wanting like one of the main things right now is to fit in with the everyone else. Um. Fear of rejection you know and looking for acceptance and all things it's like giving up your own sovereignty and your own ability to to live your best life to go fall in line with a bunch of clowns that like are trying to impress one another and they have five hundred friends, but of the five hundred friends four hundred and ninety nine of them are electronic f- cyber friends you know so and that's cool if you got friends or not that's not a big deal, but the thing is to be dependent on other people and looking for their approval constantly is not really a place where you're going to find any kind of growth or improvement in yourself you know or self-esteem or anything you know it's not a direction and it's not um it's not cool very important to have uh throughout your life, you know, from a young age, and and it's never too late, and you move on, is to accumulate knowledge and have understanding of all things, you know, by reading the right books and the right teachings. If you get my Academy of Liberation, you'll see I rec- do a lot of recommendations and books and TV series like Kung Fu from this 1971 with David Carradine. I get into Master Poe and such. I get into some real esoteric stuff. Actually, it's funny. The other day I saw something, and it was The Little Prince, that book, The Little Prince, and I remember reading it when I guess I was 11, Eleven years old, and it kind of changed my whole paradigm. Just reading the, the beginning of that book, you know, because it has a picture of like a hat, but it says it's a, a snake that ate an elephant. Like you know, just kind of blew me away. So it's so important to see the world through your own eyes, you know, and, and, and have an understanding of what it is because people are so easily misled. And and, and uh, I don't know. Like I've been doing a lot of research lately on and. Uh, You know, I'll just be honest with you, like the Freemasons and the, what is that other thing, the um, Shriners and all that stuff, some creepy stuff, man, you know, I'm not to say that all Freemasons are bad or make a judgment like that, but that teaching, like I said in the beginning, man, it's very, very sound, like the Hermetic principles and such, really, you know, everything is, like Hermeticism, like everything is mind and all that, that, you know, there's truth to that. But as you take one step further past that basic intro, it gets very dark very quick. So be careful with that stuff. But, yeah, I've been really on my research as far as, um, like secret societies and the spells and everything like that. And the, uh, sorcery that they're using on us right now. Which I've been aware of. But it's so blatantly obvious right now what they're trying to do to us all. You know, again, I'm shadow banned, so I'm not gonna go there too much with that. Uh... Something, man. You gotta listen to the right speakers and everything like that. It's just, it's, it's crazy what's taking place right now, man. And in, in all seriousness, man, you want to make sure that you're in the right position. This is no time to be playing games and trying to prove this to other people or whatever. I, I'm gonna, I'm kind of biting my tongue because people run off in different directions. They want to be a social social media superstar, or they want to have every you know Air Jordan sneaker, or they want to have the right exact car that's gonna put them in that position what they don't understand is we're not in the time for that right now if you have the money that's great but if you're not you know if you don't have bundles of cash man you want to be in a position where you're saving up for a rainy day because that rain is coming man you know i don't like to get into the negativity but it's pretty self-evident the dollar's gonna inevitably crash pretty soon or whatever it's gonna do man but times times are just getting worse and worse and they're just wiping out that middle class you know that's one reason why i'm glad i'm down here in in south the south carolina area because um life's a lot simpler down here not to necessarily say that it's cheaper in my area in the greenville area it's a little bit on the expensive side and it's pretty much like it is up north and everything else like that for the most part taxes and stuff like that and a lot of the living is, is somewhat cheaper down here you know but you're in nature and you know you drive down the road and you go into these little can you know? Road, back roads that are have a tree canopy where the leaves and the branches are hanging over you like in a in a tree tunnel. You know it's, it's beautiful. I love it down here, man. All this clay soil and bright sun. The weather's amazing down here. But yeah, I was gonna go, get into a lot of esoteric stuff, but a lot of that you know I consider it, and it gets repetitive. You know, you start talking about the same authors and the same writings and the same teachings and the you know the Dharma pot and the Tao Te Ching and the Bible and all these different teachings and Something you, you got to get into for yourself, man, because that's what's going to make it worthwhile. Whenever you sit down and you try to, you know, do the 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 easy download and teach somebody whatever, it never it never sticks, man. It has to be something that you have a desire for and that you're going to chase and you're going to learn on your own, right? Yes, you're going to listen to some speakers and you're going to absorb what they teach. You're going to listen to what I say and say, hey, that makes sense, and that. But really, you got to get roll up your sleeves and get in there on your own and do you start doing your research. And understanding, because like I said, the way to get out of this, these spells that they're casting on us and this sorcery that they're casting on us is have an understanding. Number one, most importantly, those spells and that sorcery that they're casting is it, it penetrates you through your most vulnerable point, which is your mind. Right, if you're in a state of fear, then you're gonna say to yourself. Um you're going to be susceptible to that because you have a fear of it and you're engaging with it. And you have to have an understanding that what that person is doing or whatever evil they're trying to do, whatever spell they're trying to cast, that's something that's coming from decisions that they make that they want to do. And the only way, like I said, it's going to affect you if you allow it to affect you. And to be honest with you, the simplest way I could put it is the blood of Jesus Christ is stronger than anything. You know, whatever is going on, you plead the blood of Jesus Christ and this, that, and... Basically, that's what it is, man. This doesn't go any further than that. That wipes out all fear. But that that's a different story, too. I'm not going to push my religion or my thinking or whatever. Yeah, my title is Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn. And I see Buddhism not as a religion, but it's a way of living and it's a philosophy. So it doesn't say anywhere in the Buddhist teachings about God. Of course, people write a million books and a bunch of idols and stuff like that. But I'm talking about if you read or look at it's called, the um, Buddha's book, it's called, it's called the Dharmapada, D-H-A-R-M-M-A-P-A-D-A, the Dharmapada, that are Buddha's words directly. Everything else from Buddhism was written by someone else other than Sirata Gautama, the Buddha. It's written by somebody else about him, reflecting on his teachings. But his, his words are in his book that he wrote a very thin, small little book. It's called the Dharmapada. You know, with the twin verses and such, that's... And there's nothing in this as God or anything like that. It just, it's just talking about the self and the self-realization and how um, you're, you're connected literally, literally to everything. There's no separation and there's no real separate self. There's just the self, which is... There's one self and there's one consciousness. A little deep, but that's why you got to do your research, man. It's really, really important. But they're trying to cast all the stuff on us and... The best way I can describe it, when you look at it, let's say that somebody has an evil intention or whatever, you basically look at them like you're looking at a movie, and this movie that you're looking at, or this person, interchangeable, this movie is a comedy, right? Or it's a western, or it is whatever it is, because it's funny, because they're so stupid. And limited to that, I mean, you understand that. What these evil people do and what they're trying to do is like I said, they try to take our attention away from where it needs to be so that they can control us and put us in a state of fear is what it is right now a state of desire or wanting things that we don't have or being jealous of other people and separating and such and have and have a understanding that when you're when I'm walking on the block and I see 10 people on the block, I'm seeing 10 expressions of myself okay, I'll take it to that deep level yes, there's good people and bad people and everything like that but the bottom line is there's one consciousness, right, and there's one God, there's one true God, one Elohim, one, you know, Yahweh Jehovah, Yeshua, you know Jesus, and it's important to to have that knowledge of, of the self at a very, very deep level, so get into that academy of liberation i could start rattling off books and stuff you know that i've read and studied and that can benefit you but it's all it's all in that pdf you can see it or listen to it on the mp3 so the best way yeah because i was i grew up with a lot of this stuff with santeria where people are doing all kind of like evil spells on one another and they go to the botánica and they buy all of these chicken feet and stuff and try to cast some really bad stuff you know but it's important to have an understanding that that's something that has to do with them and has nothing to do with you because you're not attaching to that negative energy. Another way I've heard it phrased was like, a person is very nasty to you, what you do if, if they say something bad or whatever, it's like they're trying to give you this gift and what the gift is is a bad attitude or some negativity. But look at it as a gift, it just happens to be a negative gift, and say, you know what, I'm not accepting this gift, I don't want this gift and you can have it. I'm not accepting it and I'm not attaching to it. A little bit profound, if you, you got to think on that one. But saying I'm not accepting this gift, you know. So just don't attach to the gift and let them live their evil ways however they want to go about. Because whatever you do is going to come back to you, whether it's good or bad, whatever. It's like karma is real, you know. Help people when you can. And they say the greatest feeling that you could have. Man, I'm rambling, ain't I? They say the greatest feeling you could ever have is when you help somebody that needs help. Like my mother taught me when I was very young. She said, you know, if you help a person when they need help, when you need help, God's going to help you. And in the exact same timing, exactly when you need it, you know how that is when you really need something and somebody or something comes through. It's, It's pretty amazing, you know. And I find that when you're the type of person that is there for other people, when you and I don't mean have people take advantage of you, but I mean real help, whatever it might be. You know, they fall and you help stand them up or... You give them 20 bucks when, you know, they're flat out and or whatever the number might be, whatever it is, you know, and that's yeah, there's no better feeling than that. So we're hitting the 27 minute mark here. And I do want to thank you for listening and uh, praise Jesus name.
1: So I said, I love my Lord Savior, Jesus Christ, with all of my heart. His light shines bright when it seems like life is all in the dark. He make you feel like it's alright when life is falling apart And he always there to hear me when I call him to talk He could turn your guilt into grace, your sin into salvation So be patient when you're going through trials and tribulations He's the creator of all creations, the ruler of all nations Who was crucified to save us from Satan and damnation Now temptation hard to resist, hypocrites will try to mislead you But I believe in God and that he provides for his people He with you when you lonely, you hungry, then he'll feed you And it's the truth that money's the root of all of this evil That's why it's hard for the rich to get in heaven The wealth will tarnish your soul And knowledge and understanding is better than silver and gold Your lust for money can make you burn like you cooking over the stove But faith can make you twice as rich I read this in the book of Job now I was told the Bible hard to understand because they wrote it back in the days, but if you pray you'll be amazed how you comprehend every page. Now Easter, Christmas and all the Christian holidays was made to generate paper not to get the maker his praise. And now in this world we live in them Been filled with hatred and war We supposed to love each other But not many spirits are pure Soon Jesus will be back That's in Matthew 24 To destroy the world with fire He did it with water before So get on your knees and repent to the king And sing the gospel If you believe the blessings you'll receive Will probably shock you You righteous and follow his commandments They can't stop you The devil is gonna try to knock you But God got you From Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is education I'm dedicating my life to Christ instead of Satan But instead of waiting Till your spirit is levitating Awaken out of that spell Cause hell is devastating Hey yo, the king been thrown You sinning your skin and bone But you ain't gotta swim in the fire and brimstone Cause you ain't in it alone He's here to protect you and he never neglects you He's here to accept you When wrong he corrects you and shows you the right path To live like the righteous as long as Your life lasts cause you should Love God more than you like cash Living a fast life or bring an End of your life fast Worship the Lord he created the earth and heaven And please read John chapter 1 verse 7 and try to walk in the light nobody perfect brethren but I believe the words of Proverbs chapter 11 and I ain't trying to knock nobody else's religion I just opened up my eyes and I made a wise decision see Satan divide and conquer to conquer he need division, but it's only one God it should only be one vision when you walk with God no strength is lost so keep walking when you talk with God no breath is lost so keep talking when you wait on God, no time is lost, so keep waiting. Some people hate, but no love is lost. Keep hating. The evil won't survive when my God defeats Satan. The water's gonna roar and the mountains will keep shaking. Therefore, to praise God what we here for. The devil gonna try to stop you, but God got you.
0: the investigators report an in-depth look at some of the world's greatest mysteries and topics of interest. So for the next hour we ask you to sit back, relax and fasten your seatbelts as we explore and detail areas in our history, ancient history, biblical history, world religion and philosophy, and unexplained phenomena. Greetings ladies and gentlemen this is Gary P. once again with another session of the investigators report and as always, we're extremely glad to have you with us. And we are also very exciting if you have been following our blog page uh, to bring back a gentleman of which we have talked to on two other occasions. Now, in our first program, we had a basic Q and A, and then our second program, we discussed the origins of evil, the future of mankind in 2012. Well, ironically, here we are at the beginning of the year 2009 and we are talking to him for a third time in between the last time we talked and now he has put together an excellent piece of work in a DVD entitled Architects of Control. I may have misphrased that in my previous show calling it Architects of Fear. It is a very very masterful work done by my guest who was with us for the third time So it gives me great honor and pleasure to welcome back Mr. Michael And Welcome back to the Investigators Report Michael.
3: Yeah it's nice to be back thanks for inviting me back
0: as I mentioned at the top of the show, this show will deal with your DVD, which is Architects of Control. And it is a very, very close look. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of the questions that we ask when we're talking about mind control, when we're talking about the New World Order, when we're talking about the nefarious plot which has been going on for thousands of years, you seem to wrap it up in a nutshell in that DVD and I'm gonna yield the floor to you so you can give us an overview. As you know, I have like three pages of notes to use as reference of questions but I'm gonna go ahead and yield the floor to you and let you begin giving us an overview of the DVD, Architects of Control.
3: Um, Well thanks for that and uh again appreciate you having me on to be able to talk about the DVD it's about a month old it took about a year to to make and it's also just part, program 1 of a series we're doing in the architects of control or or entitled architects of control that's going to be you know several uh, other programs uh, dealing with uh, this understanding of whether man whether any of us are really truly in charge of our own destinies or whether that's somewhat of an illusion you see, because as we know, you know, even outside the world of alternative research and conspiracy, even philosophers, psychologists, you you, you name it, um, even religious uh, thinkers, going back to you know Thomas Aquinas, Saint Augustine, in every one of the major intellectual traditions, there's always been this question between reality and illusion. It goes back to Plato. It goes back before that, even into the pre-Socratic philosophers. It goes back to China with Confucius. My goodness, you know, think of the Indian philosophers, you know, of, of the ancient world, the great yogis, and uh, you'll even find that in the shamanic tradition or in the poetic tradition, you know, not just the romantic tradition of poetry, but, you know, all the way back to the some of the earliest poetry, there is this sort of um, question, and we find it in the, the, you know, pictorialized in the great artists, particularly, you know, the uh, surrealist artists, like, what is actually reality, you know? And then coming up, this is an age-old question and basically, do we just have an idea of reality? And if we have an idea of reality, then as George Orwell said, if reality is only in our heads, then there's a potential that that reality could be manipulated as well. So the, the, the series is about that. It's about what is it that possibly could be blocking our perceptions of reality? And of course, don't forget—just for imagine a moment—that we are. It is an illusion. We don't see reality. Just imagine for a moment that we are, in fact, like the Matrix movies implies, that we are in some sort of, you know, illusionary state, and what we see has been either manufactured for us in some sort of vanilla sky matrix kind of way, or maybe even if it's not that, it's just that we are not perceiving reality. Then you see, how could we ever find our way out? So the the problem of the matrix is that, okay, you may even start to realize or surmise that, that this is happening or that you're through various tests. This is what the philosopher Descartes tried to do of an evening, is try to test himself to see whether or not he could even perceive reality. And even if you get so far as to say, well, I don't think I am perceiving reality. I do think that a lot of the stuff I'm looking at is illusionary. What can you then do, you see? to get out of it. So, this is not a small question, this is an enormous question and it definitely ties into the world conspiracy because, of course, I believe we're dealing with architects of control and you're not far wrong, you weren't really misquoting because architects of fear is also what they're about because there is nothing more debilitating to the human consciousness or the mind than fear. And of course, let's subdivide that into fear and anxiety. Fear being, if we want to be specific about it, fear is more rational. Fear is like perhaps there is something external to you, you know, um, that maybe causing you a rational fear. Whereas anxiety, which is so much more important to know about, is an internal feeling, an internal um, complex, uh, more nebulous, more hard to put your finger on. And anxiety often can arise from that which we know about ourselves. I'm constantly reminded of uh, the movie High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood, in which he has this monumental line in which he says that uh, it's what is what men know about themselves inside that makes them afraid so again he's actually being specific there about anxiety uh, you know and that movie actually was a comment on society and and all sorts of other phenomena that we find in society and sort of the heaven and hell scenarios that people carry within their own consciousness to see but in the first even though this um, series is, is going to delve into these incredible questions obviously the first dvd we had to sort of not Go too deep, um I wanted to sort of lay out what we're doing the tableau. Uh, I was very conscious uh, of also newcomers that we you know, we have to meet them halfway because uh, simply practically speaking we literally are getting, and I'm sure this happens for you as well you're getting newcomers all the time you're getting people who've been into this for about five minutes they can easily become waylaid they have a tremendous passion, but they perhaps not totally grasping all of the salient points so we wanted to cr- create a show, a a film that actually showed almost like a menu so that when you walk into the restaurant, you know, you can sort of see a list of stuff, you know, some you won't like, some you will, but at least we provide this kind of a a palette for people to look at, Um, you know, and if some people who imagine that they are seasoned have a problem with that, well, that's just too bad because, you know, we're not talking to the choir, we're not talking about the people who know it all or think they know it all. We're always very conscious of the new people who are coming into this subject matter, that they need to be greeted, they need to be hosted, they need to be also you know, shown some of the salient points, the mythology, the astrotheology that ties into this, the uh, mass control, the great teachers of the past. My goodness, what an important element there. You know, so it's not just Michael Tassarin doing his thing. It's Michael Tassarin is presenting you with some of the most amazing human beings who've suffered, who've lost, you know, who, who, who've awakened people, who've, who've dedicated their entire lives to this research, you know, we should know about those kinds of people. And then you were talking also about the graphic aspect when we spoke earlier and that that was very, very, very important as well because how many ways could you go about doing this? You know, uh, We didn't want to make it dry. We didn't want to make it left brain. We didn't want to make it like a tutorial. But of course, you have to give the information up so it has to be informative. So, But how do you balance it? So uh, I had seen a lot of what uh, Henrik Palmgren had done, you see, with his other he has a bunch of stuff that he's produced, uh, many films, many documentaries, a lot of musical stuff, a lot of uh, montage and I just loved it and so you know sort of just talked him into like, hey, you know, let's go with this And he, he agreed. So it, it worked out great so sort to of have the animation because there's something very powerful about that kind of animation when it's brought over into this into this particular area because as we know, Big Brother's using it all the time. Steven Spielberg's, the big special effects, super movies, uh, the incredibly intricate commercials that they have, which are marvelously done with you know the animation. They, they're using it constantly. I've often talked in my classes, especially to the children and in general, that maybe we should note down of an evening when we're watching TV and when the commercials come on, just mark down how many commercials show what would be called fantasy or magical acts. The, the latest Pepsi one does it. Uh, and many do does it show an angel or a giant or something magical taking place, uh, a halo of light, um, moving objects uh, inanimate things that come alive and do little dances you see um, let 's think of um, uh, anything that would be like a children 's fantastical stuff where magic is actually happening. Uh, uh, just watch for that magical element, uh, of course in psychology psychological terms that 's called animism, the animistic uh, aspects. And you will be surprised at how much the mainstream media use this fantastical element to appeal to the child brain, to appeal to the limbic brain, you see. So they're constantly doing this. They slowly dumb us down you know, further and further and further because as I have said in so many you know, works this whole thing with the media, not alternative media like you know, the underground media or below the radar. But the mainstream media is one of the most pernicious tentacles of mass control. We wanted to get into that also to, to help the teens, to help the newcomers and to help people in general always be reminded that watch out for what the media is doing because you know, these people don't mean you well, they, uh, it doesn't mean it's all bad but there is a campaign of colonialization, there's a campaign of colonization, there's a campaign of war on consciousness through all of these sitcoms, through all of this uh, palava that Hollywood you know, churns out that's on the mainstream channels now. Um, and captivates so many people, so it is deadly, very deadly because that's where the person is most passive, that's when the person is most suggestive, I'm not against television, I'm not against programming, you know, that comes on, there's some great movies and documentaries, we know so much, we've learned so much about the world from television, I'm not even against being passive, people work all day, they're tired, it's perfectly okay to become sit down and be served basically just like you are at a restaurant, you know, watch a program, relax, I'm not against any of that at all. I never suggest that people should turn the television off like so many you know, radical people do. I'm more for an educated response to what's coming over and people can use it like anything to study it in a perfectly scientific and rational way. But the, it always needs to be reminded to people, you see, that the media is not so healthy in many of its aspects. So then we said, okay, wait a minute. It's not the, manipula- it's not the images themselves. It's not the art itself that's negative. So what are we, what are we thinking? Why can't we use that kind of imagery. You know what I mean? It it can be done very well if you watch the movie, you know, What the Bleep Do We Know or The Corporation, you see, Um, there's been others, you know, you you can see the healthy use of imagery. I mean, I've been talking about it long enough and finally I wanted to do something that really, you know, basically was an example of that so that we try to make a balance between the information which is absolutely vital. And also, how do we sort of ac- accent that in a very artistic way, uh, you know? And can we get it to work? And as a matter of fact, you know, as we start working on it, even within by the half halfway through the first, you know, DVD, because this is a two DVD box set, by the way, um, we totally realized it's working, and then it was all all steam ahead, you know. Um, we went and did a lot of filming, and we did a lot of editing, of course, and we did a lot of animation. Henrik did anyway. Um, I was mostly looking over his shoulder giving him a hard time but it worked out great, you know. By to say this very shortly, 15-20 minutes through we realized, you know, this is definitely the way to go and it was just continue the process until the very end. And personally, I got to everything I wanted to get to. This first DVD uh, also was meant to be an homage to several of my mentors, <clears throat> particularly Jim Keith. And uh, You know, he was sort of killed under mysterious circumstances in hospital, and the jury's still out on whether that was like you know a mistake or some sort of other weird happening. Um, But he, in his time, you see, had written phenomenal books, very hardcore books, you know, going for the jugular, talking about the um, the uh, facts, the absolute statistics and facts, and uh, that goes on in MK Ultra, Project Monarch, and in all the mind control. Programs coming out of Russia, coming out of the old Soviet system, you see, that have been used entirely in the Soviet bloc for many generations and are now leaking over here. He talked about the Tavistock Institute. He talked about, uh, you know, um, Theodore Adorno. And he talked about the, um, you know, Frankfurt School and things that American people need to really, really understand because the campaign that of mind control and mass control that's happening within America didn't begin in America. It's something that came in with Roosevelt. You see, it came in at a certain era, but it was actually manufactured in Britain. So it's another loophole. It's another red herring. Uh, not a red herring. It's another, what would we say, um, clue in a way that is, can lead the American audience, you see, to understand who the real enemy is. I mean, I always talk about it being the British establishment, the British government, and the royals, and the, the whole royal establishment, you see, that is networked throughout Europe and their deep desire to bring America down. And so, by studying mind control and mass control, actually, and the roots of it, guess where it leads us? Right back to London, right back to Britain, you know, and to some of the thinkers there. Very, very important. Study this. So, you know, the key thing is that um, we wanted to make this so much more film-like and much more animated, because that I think really accents and brings out the color of of what we're saying, and uh, helps the the viewer participate, just as you would, you know, in any other. A visual medium. It helps you to participate with the right brain to get your imaginative circuitry working so that even if you don't remember some of what we've talked about, you're going to remember the power images that we've used and the music that we've used, you know. And this, this opens up just like an eye will dilate and close. So does the brain work this way. And images help the mind to open, to feel more relaxed, and also to, atta- to grasp knowledge in so, so much more of a sophisticated manner, you know.
0: One of the things that um, you did particularly well is how you began the piece with a lot of contemporary issues that we have faced, namely, you know, starting with the subject mass control, you began to mention about the war on consciousness. Then you began to mention the mass killings that have taken place over the past, well, 10 years, maybe even more, starting with the Virginia Tech uh, incident. You mentioned Columbine. And I'm going to have you comment on these. You mentioned Columbine. You mentioned Jim Jones, you, um, which ironically, folks, we're going to be doing two shows of dealing with a former member of the People's Temple in the last two weeks of this month. So you don't want to miss that. You mentioned David Berkowitz, a.k.a. the son of yeah. Sam, which is really the son of Samael. You talked about how the mass control led to a lot of these programmings and a lot of these triggers that were the catalyst for these events.
3: Absolutely, because remember, you remember earlier I was just saying about uh, the dissemination of fear, what better to disseminate fear amongst those who are sensitive people, the mothers of the world, the youth of the world, um, by this horror of seeing children die. This goes back to the Grecian times, it is a very old motif, there's something in human consciousness you see about child sacrifice, it's a very occult matter, it once used to happen physically. I mean, there, there's been cultures, you know, who, who really went in, went in for this kind of thing. Um, it's not about blame game, it's about understanding why that might have happened, but there's something in the psyche of man, you see, the satanic force, or let's say more correctly, the Luciferian atonist force is very good on inverting, reversing the moral standards and the virtues uh, that humanity has. They do this with their own members in order to compromise them, and they love to do it on a wider scale with this horror stories you see of of these bizarre killings. Uh, We've even had recently children, uh, young teens who've literally committed suicide on Skype while they've been on a webcam, you know, (laughs) like some sort of, you know, we don't even live in reality, we just live in TV now. Uh, Everything has become what's called a simulacra and the word means exactly what it sounds like, a simulation, a simulation of reality. Um, Of course, one of the other reasons, uh, Gary, why they would be horrifying us with all of this you know, the Columbine type scenario is because that acclimatizes us, it acculturates us to, to to global violence. Because remember we're talking about extremely violent men here. We're talking about patholog we're talking about pathology. That's what the D V D series is about. That's what architects of control is all about. People who have no power internally, no control internally, no light internally, no virtue internally, and therefore the entire architecture of their life is in exactly the same way that you see somebody who's become a paraplegic has those braces on their legs. As a child needs stabilizers when they're riding the bicycle. As a tottering building will require this instant scaffolding you see to be put up. Uh, the braces. We have to start seeing these people as T. S. Eliot's hollow men, and being hollow, they require the external. You see, uh, bracing. And therefore, their power, their need for status, their influence, their need for a whole chest of medals <laughs> and awards, you know, this preposterous nonsense, uh, and this, this ultimate involvement in hierarchy, uh, which is completely anti natural. But here's the, here's, the, here's the crux of the matter if you have, because of your own pathology, because of your own insanity, brought into the fact that hierarchy is the way to go and all society and all civilization should be hierarchical, well that's an affront to nature so it's not natural and therefore you now have to continually maintenance it because hierarchy doesn't stand on its own. It would be you know, something that would be um, eroded by the natural forces of nature so the hierarchy has to be perpetually um, maintained. And the media is one of the biggest ways to do this. So that's why in the beginning of the, of this, the particular program, Program 1, we went into many examples of this type of um, reportage. One, because I do actually believe that a lot of these teens were under direct mind control from the Dr. Cameron, Dr. Delgado types you see who are still in business, very interested in how the consciousness works and because of the fear value that it breeds in society. and uh, I have always studied these uh, kinds of mass killings and also this, uh serial killer type. Since I was about 13, 14 years of age, I've collected information on them. A lot of, them, of course, the ones in Britain and Europe, and then subsequently in America. And I do believe that a great deal of them have been long-term people who've been under mind control. And I believe that mind control has even been used on the presidents. I mean, we've even got videotape of that. The that, that looks on, you know, Bill Clinton's face and various other military generals and leaders. There's something very odd going on there and we use these examples because we wanted people to really start, it's another loophole, it's another uh, clue that they've left actually. If you trace it, you can, you can actually open up a whole window of investigation. Very very important to realize that this does in fact go on. Also to realize that it's not going to go away, it's going to happen more and more and more. As I said, there's this recent spate of you know, the death of the young and it's, it's part of an occult ritual. I've talked about the occult ritual. In most of my works, how even the cities are designed like ritual sites. When people open a book on magic and they see the magician, you know, uh, um, or the priest or whatever standing in some sort of, you know, magical circle and ready to do his incantation and summoning demons or whatever, we've got to realize that that is just, that's pretty much fantasy what you're looking at there. That is actually going on, but it's going on on a macro level. The cities like Paris and Cologne and, and Washington, you see, and many other cities or parts of cities are ritualistic. This is huge in Ireland. My goodness, you wouldn't believe when you start getting into this thing when it comes to Ireland and England. It goes actually directly into the Templar organizations who did this. It's actually Templar Masons, Stone Masons, Templars, Knights Templars, who had this knowledge. They originally stole it from the Druids, but that's a whole other show, a whole other question. Um, Then they appropriate and and made sure that their cities, their designs, uh, that's what the word mason means for goodness sake, stone mason, the person who builds. And uh, they created a lot of propaganda, of course, so that we don't understand this point that I'm making, but these occult templars had had an entire library of knowledge about this. And with it came this idea of where you build, where you put certain obelisks, what the obelisks mean, uh, the flags, the friezes, the squares, the clock towers, all of this stuff is happening in some sort of occult ritual and therefore many of the peculiar deaths, the way the bodies are laid out, the way the bodies are mutilated, the way the bodies are killed, other paraphernalia that happens to be lying around, you see the corpse or whatever, and of course the subsequent police cover-ups up, cover where you know nobody can find out what on earth is going on. There's, this has been going on for centuries. And so we went into the beginning, a little brief history of mind control and showed that it's, it's happening in our today's world. These are not freak things. There's lots of disgruntled teens, but they don't go around, you know, with automatic weapons murdering people in school. Um, we have this uh, happening because they want to instill fear. And then, of course, they, wanna in, they want to instill the surveillance community. They want to set up surveillance in, in such a way in which there's nothing you're doing is anonymous anymore or private total invasion of privacy which is again part of the war on unconsciousness, and they're going to keep body punching us till we're softened up you see to basically buying into this whole surveillance uh, culture that is, is already rapidly gaining great power you know all over the world and uh, so there's so many incredible questions you know that we can get into and, and we did get into with that whole question of what's happening in our world and how ancient these forces are Folks,
0: you're listening to the Investigator's Report. I'm Gary Purifori with my very, very special guest, Mr. Michael Tesserion We're discussing his latest DVD, the first part of it, that is, of Architects of Control. Now, when I mentioned in a previous show, which of course was erroneous, but you did say that it was somewhat accurate, you really, it was a, what came to mind was a a Outer Limits episode in, entitled Architects of Fear. And what that epi- yeah what that episode was about was that the government actually created an alien. They created an alien in order to to induce a situation or for mankind to come together to fight against this alien with this particular project. Another thing that you mentioned, which has been mentioned a lot on here in this program, you've mentioned it in your seminars and in your works, but in this DVD, you brought a whole fresh new perspective in terms of the idea and the programming that religion plays into all of this and how really, and this is the key word here, how you compare the rational versus the irrational. Because for Islam, you have the Quran. For Christianity, you have the Bible. For Judaism, you have the Torah. And then these religions go into governments, and then these governments develop armies, and then as a result you have wars. But it starts with these particular elements of these religions which claim, they all claim to be holy. But I'll I'll let you take it from there in terms of the comparison between the rational and the irrational.
3: Yeah, that's, That's also a very key point. Remember we were talking earlier about that if in fact man is under mind control and he can't tell reality, uh, but even if he starts to wake up to say, "Okay, look, maybe I don't see correctly. How can he escape? How can what can he draw upon within himself to then break the code and become truly liberated and free uh, uh, from whatever kind of you know mental shackles that he's under?" My work is very much about that. My work is try to uh, midwife a person, you know, through this incredible labyrinth, um, the seeker. I'm not actually doing any leading, but the seeker you know, has guide, guide, I put the, sort of the, you know, the signpost there, introduce them to these theories and thinkers and the great masters of the past, whether they're in art or poetry or philosophy, you see, so that the individual can follow the light of the great masters who've gone before us upon this particular journey. This is very, very important because we're not alone, we never were alone. You know, uh, we've had the shining ones who've who have who have totally walked this road before human beings who've had the same questions, had the same anxieties, who's had the same, you know, sense of um questioning, what is really meaning, what is really reality. And I think that the A-list of philosophers and the A-list of, of seekers who've gone on this road before us are very much disciples of reason. Um and this opens up a big door because, you see, then we have to ask, what is reason? And, of course, it's basically nothing more than thinking. It's a certain kind of thinking. The rational faculty is something very, very special. It's the core of thought because thought happens all the time. Thought is happening when you go to sleep. Thought, thought is happening even when you don't want it to happen. It's happening. But the rational apparatus is this highly focused ability that human beings only have, no other f- species we know has it, and it's the ability to discern. And I believe that a great deal of um, this, um, this uh, r- r- the reason, but actually technically speaking, the reason is basically judgment and critical thinking, critical ability, and the you know, ability to discern or to judge. And however, it's also deconstructive in its nature as opposed to constructive. In other words, it's like Sherlock Holmes, it's, it's like a sort of a deductive method where you take a look at what is in front of you and you sort of um, eliminate the impossible. Now, talking of Sherlock Holmes, Conan Doyle basically said it in a very brilliant and uh, succinct manner. He said, through his character, Sherlock Holmes, he said, once you have eliminated the impossible, oh no, excuse me, he, he, the, the quote I'm actually thinking of, he says, is that the truth the truth is only arrived at by the painstaking process of eliminating the untrue. So to repeat that, he said that the truth is only apprehended or only arrived at, by the painstaking process of the elimination of the untrue. And within that is something that is so profound. And this rings also through the work of Ayn Rand, you see the great, the great American philosopher and and, many, and Aristotle and many other you know, of the leading philosophers. The idea that it's deconstructive, you try not to attain truth directly, but you try to surmise what is not truth. This the mind can do. It is both presumptuous and it is possibly impossible to to apprehend truth directly. And without getting into all the reasons why that is, it just happens to be a fact. You do a detection process. You simply test. You do have the ability, the mind does have the ability to test what is untrue in a Socratic way, in a rational way. Now, this would be where man would be at right now because we had great lights and we had great philosophers and, we, and this was pretty much the, you know, the core of the rising of Western civilization. However, we have a counterpointing voice. We have a counterpointing um, ideology. And this ideology is, of course, anti-rational. It's the non-rational. It doesn't look as man as a rational animal. It looks at man as an emotional animal. Of course he is emotional. But the interesting thing is that emotions can also be rational. So um what we have here is a group of of of, of thinkers and, and teachers, you see, who only are happy to look at man as a as a, an emotional animal, as somebody who's not in charge of his own mind, whose perceptions are entirely illusionary, and that the only way to save that kind of man, you see, is through, you know, various um what has now become religious belief systems. And this is where religion comes in. It's actually really not even correct to call it religion because they're not religion at all. Religion is something totally different and totally profound. And it's, it's clearly explained in the Bible as to what religion really is. When Jesus talks about you know going within, that the temple of God is within, and, and John and Corinthians, and uh, so many uh, allusions, you see, to the inner temple of God. And St. Paul saying, If thine eye be single, thy whole body will be full of light. You know, this, the whole idea that the body is the temple of God, it's, it's been written in, in many, many of the Christian scriptures as well as the old uh, scriptures that were left out of the Bible on purpose. And one of the reasons is because this is what these scriptures were talking about. But the fundamental fact is, you see, that we have to come to a decision ourselves in our own lives. There's no pressure. It's just like, you know, we have to discover whether we want to be rational animals. And that does not mean not believing in God or believing in a universal intelligence. It doesn't mean that at all. This is what you know the propagandists are trying to say about the rational people, is that, oh, well, this person's rational, you know, they're debunking God or they don't believe in... The, and this, of course, is completely not true. But uh, we have to be very careful that if we're always treated as emotional animals, as emotional beings, there's a danger at that point that we lose this critical ability and this judgment, we lose this deconstructive ability, which, of course, we have lost, and then we're open to manipulation. We're open to the promise, whether it's in a fraternity situation like these Masonic orders, whether it's in religion in which they're constantly promising us enlightenment, freedom, heaven, you see, you know, the uh, eternal paradise and all of these kinds of things. They're not only, they're not only or offering, they're not only promising something that we don't have now but we'll have tomorrow, but they're also saying that we will bestow it upon you. It's not something you attain from within it is something that is conferred upon you. it is something that is bestowed. It is not awakened from within at all. it is something that is you know um, bestowed by some external authority. This also is extremely extremely dangerous and uh, has nothing to do with the the, the uh, concepts of true religion and true you know uh, enlightenment whatsoever. It's actually a form of submission and slavery and again my work is always about trying to help people discover, not only about the architects of control that have co-opted our complicity, but what is it within human beings you see, that allows them to submit or or or, or wants to be a slave? You know why would we do it? Why would we enter into a master slave dynamic this the roots of that question you see is in psychology of what it is, maybe over time or whatever you want way you want to look at it. What is it in human beings? Is it something that goes back to the way our parents have brought us up? Is it the way the schools are set up? You know, what is it exactly <clears throat> that prevents a person you know, standing up for themselves and, and, and using their own brain and using their own mind um, and, and quickly submit? And, of course, this question does not then only involve uh, po- politics. There is a master-slave dynamic in almost every relationship that we could possibly look at. It's in the way that parents treat their children. It's in the way you know adults treat one another. It's in the workplace. It's the way we treat animals. I mean, it's, it's all the way down the line is this master-slave dynamic. And it needs to be looked at because the masters, the architects of control, know all about it. And as I said, they're busy, manuf- like ants. In fact, they even use the ant. Many Illuminati families use the symbol of the ant. Others, others use the beehive because the idea is, this, is, is, of course, that this is a hierarchical, or at least in their mind, they think it is that these animals operate in a hierarchical manner. And you, as I said before, you have to maintenance a hierarchy because there's nothing natural about it. In hierarchy, this was something completely different that the ancients understood. You don't need to man- you completely you don't need to maintain that because it's self-perpetuating. Uh, in the hierarchy, you do. And just as a final point on this question about hierarchy, it was we wanted to really point out something in the DVD and also. I've done it in previous works. And that is a hierarchy, that's why they even have a symbol of the pyramid on the dollar bill, why the Illuminati and these Masons love the symbol of a pyramid, because that is exactly the most incredible symbol for hierarchy that you could ever want to create. It's absolutely the best symbol, the most brilliant symbol. The triangle will work just as well, but the pyramid is perfect. These layers and tiers of hierarchy, it's it's something there. And as we said, the hierarchy needs to be maintained. But the other important thing is that there is no such thing as hierarchy in the universe. And therefore, those who see hierarchy are demented. It's only a pathological, sociopathic, and demented mind that sees hierarchy. Now, you're not going to change what they see because it is like some sort of twilight zone, you know, uh, uh, outer limits situation in which these people, they could be staring right at it. You know, it's like those drawings, you know, like the two vases and can you see the face or can you see the vase or... The the picture of the old woman and the young woman—you know—it's so fused together, and it's all about our perspective of what we see when we're looking. And this is what I'm really talking about: is that in the demented mind, that's narrow, that's fear-ridden, that's anxiety-ridden, that's spiritually empty and desolate. Not only will these people see a hierarchy where there's really hierarchy, but these are the people um, who—they also deeply. Want to infect everyone else with their kind of thinking, this is also very vital, and the person that sees holarchy you could never convince that other person you see so it 's like having a sphere and having a pyramid. This is the two you know visual images that sort of are at, at odds with one another. Here you have on one side a pyramidology of people who just you know have the hierarchy, and of course that 's a power dynamic isn 't it? You have the have people at the top, you have the have people at the bottom suppressing uh, and then you have the op- you have the suppressed at the bottom, the oppressed people, and all their motive is, Gary, all that they care about is becoming an oppressor. They're, they're not thinking of freedom, which is, of course, a misnomer that goes around, that people really want freedom. That's a myth. What they want to do is get higher up the ladder so that they can become the next generation of oppressors. That's how we bring our children up. We don't bring them up to learn freedom and to, to learn true expression. And I'm sure you noticed that in the DVD, we went into this thing about the indigo children and the meta children, you see, as, as a sort of an example of what we should be doing. But we don't do that, we, we, we basically spread the contamination and unfortunately the, the leaders at the top who are the most sick and psychotic of the lot, that's what they're doing. They want to, in everything they create, whether it's a corporation or a religious situation, they're dealing with this hierarchical manner because they have no inner you know, stability. And just like we were talking about some of the, the dark side of religion a few minutes ago, the other thing that we have to remember about this demented psyche is that it is going to cling to those external forms of religion. They're just a husk. They have nothing to do with religion, really. They may be incorporating certain spiritual elements from religious groups and people of the past, but they themselves are totally exploitatory and totally fake. Well, who do you think goes there? Who do you, who do you think is attracted to that kind of emptiness? Is all the individuals who have been either raped of their own psyche, and they're not to blame, You know, they have to start waking up, but all these other potentates, all this establishment. So my work, you know, as, as controversial as this is, one has to go and expose this popery and the echelons of, you know, even the Protestant religion and, and Islam, like you were saying earlier. You know, it's inevitable. I don't want to do it. I mean, you know, I wish I had something better to do. But you know, the point is that when you're seeking, like a detective, when you're on the trail of this tiger in the long grass, you know, you don't know what's going to happen when you burn down the long grass. You don't know what you're going to expose. And it will take you into big government. It will take us into the the questions of religion. And again, it's deconstructive because the idea is that if you break down all the stuff that is false, it is only then from the ashes of the false and from the beautiful human process of deconstructing all the lie that the real roses of truth and freedom, you see, and and reality grow. So people must never forget this. We've had too much talk about attainment, too much acquisitive uh, spiritual ardor and passion, as if it's something that, you know, that the God force is something material we can just sort of have. This is, this is nonsense. You have it when you're totally ready, when your own garden, inner garden is prepared, and when you've also done this deconstructive work, both on yourself and both in the phenomena that is presented to you by your five senses. You can subject all of that reality, that phenomena, you see, to the critical ability, to the judgment, and, and all great mystery schools of truth. All great schools, all great teachers always worked on that. They worked on sharpening the reason, not weakening it. So again, when you see a society that is completely anti-rational, uh, this is where the danger is and that needs to be turned around, you see, uh, because otherwise there, there is absolutely no hope. And you know, this is a culture that now that's building more prisons, you know, two million people incarcerated. What, what about the schools? What about the, um, you know, the colleges? What about the books? What about the learning channels? You know, it, they're becoming more and more hard to find because, of course, you don't want, people. as I said, the rational aspect, right, the thinking apparatus, is being constantly eroded and people are being constantly worked upon emotionally. This is what we find through the symbolism. So again, I'd like to give a specific example so people know exactly what I'm talking about. The flag waving, the symbolism that's used in politics and on television you see is, a, is working on you on, on, a, on a very base, lower emotional level. It's working on you through your lower appetites, your, you know, the food, the water, the oil, you know, all the necessities of life, uh, the concept of motherhood, the concept of protection, the concept of security. A lot of the talismanic words that are being used. We go into all of this, you see, and show how over time drip feed, drip feed, drip feed. This is a form of mass control. This is a form of mind control. Always working to make you feel less, to make you feel disempowered, to rise up the anger, to amp up your feeling of, of anxiety. Uh, by creating fear externally and anxiety from within, fear externally, anxiety from within. Then you have the fear e- externally. You go more police, please, more surveillance, please. Anxiety within, more medication, please, more happy pill, please. Can't deal with my own emotions. I have so much difficulty working with my dark emotions and the way I feel emotionally. Forget about the reason, chump. Forget about the re- working on the reason. I haven't got. I I feel like you know shit over here. What you know? What can I do with that? So man is being literally pulled, you know, like we said in the DVD, there's giant hooks that have been placed in a man's flesh and, you know, he's being torn, he's, he's literally inverted, he's upside down, he's standing on his head. And the emptiness is so profound, the spiritual emptiness, the moral emptiness, that the only thing that then is left for the controllers to do is to literally inundate our minds and our hearts with all the junk, you see, of the commercial world. Not that sensation is bad at all, but you know, look at the state that we've 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 come to. That even in a sensational way, we're we're an overkill. The mind is already frozen just from the the, the stimuli of, of of palava, you know, that is is manufactured manufactured for us on a daily basis, uh, and and they know that an overstimulated mind is definitely going to freeze. So we're that's where we're at right now. The apathy that people are seeing, the kind of a shutdown uh, that people are seeing, is actually coming mostly from that. It's coming from the overstimulation of stimuli, you know, that is also freezing the brain, so that people have to slow down in order to process all this constant, you know, deluge of, of of things, of images, of all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, subliminal content and liminal content, and this then again is uh, pushes people towards dealing with the darker emotions, they don't want to deal with it so they medicate themselves and the object again is always, just like putting people in a physical prison, is to up the anxiety so that people cannot work rationally, they're not attracted to rational things at all, they're only attracted to that which is going to you know, satisfy the lowest possible level of desires and this is the danger
0: one of the things that you use very well in the film is a film that I'm very familiar in fact I remember when it came, first came out in the movies 88 89 was the science fiction film done by John Carpenter entitled they live and that movie was very if you take a very very close look at that film and I'll, I'll let you once I, I I'm gonna pretty much set up, set up your commentary on it because in that film you see how the economy was completely obliterated. Banks were folding by the dozens. Job more and more people were becoming poor. I can tell you with absolute certainty, because I witnessed this myself, more and more people are living in the way that we saw those people live in that film, outdoors, on campgrounds, because I mean hell, you can live on a campground and pay a couple of dollars a week. People are still working, but they have to resort to living in these campgrounds because they can't live in their homes anymore they can't afford them and we saw this in that movie they live and then but all behind the whole scenario behind the breaking down of our society behind the disruption and the dissolution of the working and the middle class was this group of aliens and it was like i said if if there was ever a time where that movie should really really be viewed and taken very very seriously now is the time and you you illustrated that comment on that comparison because we're looking at like I said we're looking at this happening right before our very eyes
3: absolutely it's a remarkable movie I think everyone should see it for what it shows because it definitely talks about the psychic dictatorship the war on consciousness uh, the, the loss and the scene the scene that you're talking about where they uh, in the middle of this incredibly built-up city you know it could be Seattle it could be any any city in America uh, with all the high rises and all the million dollar corporations that you see there, um, they're living basically as in a tent city type of situation. That always did strike me because, you see, I'm kind of ambivalent about uh, you know where we're going because you see, we have to face it that something is unsustainable anyway in this completely cuboid, you know, square type of grid like matrix that we live in, even from a simple social point of view, from a city design point of view. And so, in a way, as, as terrible and as desperate it is to see that, you know, people, you know, um, not being able to you know, live up to the standards of, of the so-called corporate world and what have you, in a way, just like it was in the First and Second World War in Britain, people galvanized. One of the other things that you'll notice about that scene where Carpenter is showing is that immediately as soon as, the, you know, the protagonist arrives with his with his friend that they immediately asked you know what can you do with your hands you know can you contribute here and of course the guy was a builder a constructor and and he was able to say you know I'll fix a shower I'll fix the shed or whatever and you know do odd jobs and so people were galvanized and then for that work that he did you know he was obviously fed and he was clothed and taken care of you know in a place to sleep and stuff like that so it's almost uh, in, a, in a way and don 't forget if we tie this into the amount just let 's look at even England, for instance, how many teens who are brought up in good homes, say in the north of England you know it 's epidemic how many are have always in the last twenty years or so you know the habit to leave and go to London and just sleep under a bridge, and we call it dossing in which they 're paupers, but they, you know, then when you find out what homes they came from, they actually came from quite good homes they weren 't all beaten up and, and all this kind of thing. And there's almost a certain drive in certain human beings that they just can't stomach the lie anymore, and then they sort of go and hope, you know, in some very maybe even uh, loose way, create this loose affiliation of people, you know, and who who are living out of their cars, who are are living out of their vans. But even though they have materially copped out, or there's 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 poverty financially, these people are rich again spiritually, and they're rich again uh, emotionally. And it was. This has been seen many times when there's been enormous crisis in the world. There's many, many examples of this. That the galvanization of people on a more because you know one of the most one of the most abused words. Of course, it varies state by state and and town by town. But the, one of the most abused words is community. I mean, it's one of these talismanic words that's put around. You know, just like freedom, justice, liberty, and all their other palava. Well, community is also one of the most abused words in America. You know, what community? What are you talking about? You know. Uh, it, where do where do you find it it's totally nonsensical The real community is is completely erased right now, so in a way there's an ambivalent scene there which I draw people 's attention to is that you know it's it's you may have uh uh dropped out of the material you know apollonian you know nine to five type of regimen and you may take a you know a beating financially and so on but you see Again, as I've said in all my work, and I think we did say it in the Architects of Control DVD, even if a man is chained to a wall, he can still be free in his consciousness, as many of the greatest heroes have been. So it's all about attitude, and if it if it takes it, that you know there has to be a scaling back. Because remember, let's not even get into all the reasons why America is suffering in this way, because of the apathy and because of you know the the, the not doing anything, not standing up and, and, and striking against the unlimited immigration and the unlimited funding of Israel or the unlimited you know, um, outsourcing of jobs and all, all of the various reasons, without even getting into that, if there is a meltdown, and of course I also believe most importantly that the meltdowns are always artificial, just like you implied, they're always you know, purposely done by design to shake people up to create more anxiety, they're not legitimate whatsoever, there's no, there's no possibility of any meltdown naturally through natural causes, but just say for a moment that there is a meltdown or these recessions do come upon us. There's also a silver lining in the clouds, and if it takes it for people to have to lose their status in one instance in order to resurrect, you see, a true feeling of humanity, a true connection to nature, then so be it. I don't have the same relationship to death that most people do, I don't have the same relationship to loss, you see, and the sacrifice that a lot of people do, because what I see a lot of people is that they're in cages, they're already in prisons. They may have chains of gold as opposed to chains of iron, but my goodness. Look at the unemployment in America. T- the America is trying to fund foreign countries and, and, and take care of a uh, foreign debt. Do you know how many wa- mothers there are on welfare who go and picking up bottles to try and supplement their income? The, you know, do you know the, I mean, the unbelievable state, the health. People can't even like Michael Moore showed in Sicko that you'd rather get on a, a boat. And sail and and row over to Cuba in order to get your medications that America can provide at a low cost for their people. The amount of injustice there, you see, the amount of corporate extortion and, and confiscation, is un, unlimited. And so, if a person in a way has fallen through the cracks of that, that yes, that from an egoistical point of view and from a comfort point of view, that isn't very pleasant. It has its own traumatic, you know, um, aspect. But you see, spiritually speaking. Hey, maybe this is what it needs. It's happened in Europe. It's happened in the third world. It's happened in South America. But when you go over to the third world countries, you see people's eyes are shining. You know, when, when I went and visited in India, you know, a little Mickey Mouse watch. It doesn't even work. It's like plastic. And you give it to somebody, you know, a little kid, and their eyes are gleaming. You know, you're, you're their brother. They're going to remember you for life. You know what I mean? You give them a little margarine carton, and you come back in 15 years, and it'll still be there. You know what I mean? The gratitude, the sense of of camaraderie, the sense of warmth, um, the sense of brotherhood. You know, I mean, unbelievable poverty, physical poverty that no American could ever imagine. It's just incomprehensible poverty, and yet the eyes are shining and the heart is rich. And so there are many inversions coming. You know, there's there's astrological paradigms that explains all of this. And there's other ways to look at it. We talked in you know, the Maya prophecy we went into in disc two of Architects of Control to try and you know look at the bigger picture of these astrological phase shifts. But even without getting into that whole thing, there are periods of time in which civilizations are born, they rise to their peak, and then they fall. Or that you know, and, and in between that there's a whole other spectrum. And another way of looking at that is a sort of a reversal. This concept of re- reversal is very much in mythology. It's very much in the work of people like William Blake. It is something that happens in the dream state where you have dreams of reversal. It happens in life in which there are these tremendous uh, upheavals both in government and corporations and in human beings' lives where they literally feel like, my goodness, you know, they, like the hangman and the tarot cards, they've been totally reversed, they have a feeling of loss. And what does it show you? On the floor, on the grass, underneath the hangman's head, many of the tarot cards show you know, coins, bags of coins or coins that have fallen out of his pocket, meaning that his material welfare is a little bit out of reach. But what does the hangman really signify? What is the Hebrew letter that goes with that card? You know, what's the greater mystery? Uh, actually, specifically speaking, it's the it's the um, letter nun n u n, which always implied the ocean, you know, the waters, the dissolving waters, which come in. And we even had an, uh, Henrik did a brilliant animation of the waters. You know or maybe that clip was from a movie or I can't remember in which the waters just come in and erase everything you know uh, that is known. And the waters, the rising of the waters is both a symbol of the unconscious of man, which can easily overcome the ego and can easily overcome consciousness. It's also a symbol of renovation. It's also the ending. Uh, you'll find the symbol of the, of the coming in of the water in so many um, poetries and so many uh, movies and so many fiction, talking about the dissolution. It's also in mythology, about the dissolving of one reality, and then finally the birth of another reality. So Nun, the hangman. These the the symbolism behind that is that this is a positive thing. This is an oblation. It's like a baptism. Somebody has to be completely baptized and they have to die. They have to die to live. And so, not just individuals go through this, but the point of the Architects of Control DVD, this first one was to emphasize again and again that this also happens socially. These phase shifts are known to happen. We've not been told any of this in the Western system, in Western schools and in Western literature at all. But in the Vedic systems of India, which are, you know, came there from the West anyway, and in many other um, cosmo- cosmogonies, for instance, the Maya, the North American Indians, the old Celtic stuff, you know, always talks about this uh, rising and then rising to a peak and then falling, uh, very much based on the you know the Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Brahma being the created, creating energy of God, uh, Vishnu being sort of a sustaining element of God, the, the protection and the, the sustainment of what is, and then the Shiva, Shiva energy, Shivaic energy that is the bringing of that cycle to an end not destructive in the way that we've been programmed to think of destruction but be constructive simply the winter cycle simply an idea that everything in order to be fresh and new must perish must go through you know must uh, putrefy die and then be resurrected this is such an incredible story about how this cycle works and it happens within the ego of man and it happens socially and we're seeing many cycles of it as well because it's a fractal. Remember, it's a a hologram. What happens on one level of the fractal is seen up the fractal and down the fractal. So some of this melting down that you're seeing um, and we'll continue to see as we come down to 2012, a lot of it is is positive. A lot of it, people should not get anxiety and traumatized about it. They should try to get with this and they should try to understand that there is this sort of um, chastening element. There is this uh, purging, a purgation that takes place. And that the people who are truly threatened by it are the ones who are, are simply accumulative. They're simply acquisitive, both spiritually and physically. They're not going to be able to understand and get with this vibe at all. They only know the Yang. They don't know the Yin. They only know the Venus. They don't know the Mars. Right? They only know the Sun. They don't know the Pluto. You know? They only know the, the, the Tonal. They don't know the Nagual. So there's a whole... A tug of war going on here and people need to realize that there is a yin yang and the, 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 the civilizations go this way and so it's perfectly okay to be in tune with those. The ones who are not, well they break because they, they try to stand too rigidly, too strongly and then of course they'll snap but um, as the ancient Egyptian priest always said, you know, there's been a thousand holocausts. There's been a thousand holocausts of fire and by water and by many other means. It's not something new. It's, you know, it can happen and it does happen
0: unfortunately michael we are out of time believe it or not but i mean we i mean we can go another hour if you like but we'll wrap it up here and hopefully we'll will definitely being that there's going to be another part to this series we will definitely uh, try our best to bring you back i know your schedule is extremely busy and we certainly appreciate the time that you've given us in this program but again we thank you for sharing all the aspects of the first part mind you of Architects of Control. Now, where can they obtain a copy of this DVD?
3: Um, they can either go to my main web website, com, and there's a link there, or just go straight to architectsofcontrol.com, and there's pre- previews there. There's a, If they come to my forum, they'll see, if they go to the Watts new page, we've got excerpts, because when I released the Architects of Control DVD, the same week, we, we basically also released a six-part DVD series on uh, the Irish Origins book that I wrote. It's called the Irish Origins of Civilization DVD series. There's excerpts on Google. So if people just put in Irish Origins of Civilization, uh, these excerpts will come up. Or just go to my forum's What's New page and we've already posted the various uh, previews and trailers and excerpts of uh, of both of Architects of Control and of the Irish Origins of Civilization for those who are interested in that thesis as well um so they're all available online you know and they can get to my forum by again going to michael will they'll see a link there
0: all right in addition to the links that we already have for you we'll get a link there for architects of control as well well folks like i said we're out of time but we thank you michael again for being with us folks we thank you as always for being with us for this session of the investigators report we encourage you to be with us for our next session but until that time may the god of the universe bless you see you next week listening to The Investigators Report, which is a regular feature of this station and is produced by Garinger Research and Investigation. more information on this program and for upcoming programs, and to even listen to past programs in our archives, be sure to log on to our blog page at theinvestigatorsreport.blogspot.com. That address again is theinvestigatorsreport.blogspot.com we trust you enjoyed this informative and provocative program and we urge you to join us next time for our next session of the investigators report right here on the community listening network Investigators report an in depth look at some of the world's greatest mysteries and topics of interest. So, for the next hour, we ask you to sit back, relax, and fasten your seat belts as we explore and detail areas in our history, ancient history, biblical history, world religion and philosophy, and unexplained phenomena. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gary Purifori once again with another session of the investigators report and as always we're extremely glad to have you with us for another time as true to our theme that we're now playing of our show where we are playing with fire and we're also very happy to be able to get a second part of our conversation with Mr. Michael Tesserion in connection to his latest DVD entitled architects of control we had part one in our previous show this is part two because there's so much material that we wanted to co- wanted to cover which has brought us to this second conversation I truly appreciate Michael for coming on again and Michael again welcome back to the investigators report thank you guys
3: It's a pleasure to be back
0: as we t- left off in our previous conversation we're gonna pick up in this conversation Regarding in the, in the DVD and the film where you mention, because we've mentioned it here in this program a number of times, if not almost in just about every episode with every guest, giving recognition to what's going on, giving recognition to this activity of control and this whole system which we know to be the ushering in of the New World Order, what you suggested us to do is to get mad as hell. I mean really really get mad as hell but what you went on to describe which was very very eloquent was the different type of approach that we should take the different type of intensity and how we should approach that and I'm gonna yield the floor to you and let you begin there
3: this is a tremendously important question and it ties into the whole concept of solutions because there are some people who not being truly familiar with our work give themselves away by you know coming to us and saying you know hey we know the problems why don't you offer any solutions? And the first thing that always tells me is that they're not familiar with my work because my work is filled with solutions. You know um, Even to talk of man doing his inner homework and dealing with his um, emotions, just like we spoke on the, you know, the, the first program, is, is that not solutions? Uh, even to talk about legal means uh, rather than political means of um, you know, working towards uh, greater freedom. And uh, mentioning, you know, the, you know, the breaking away from the federal government and the education uh, you know, into these matters of how the whole federal systems are set up. I mean, you know, we have solutions. We've got, we, we're always mentioning solutions. But what you're asking specifically is about a uh, the difference between a reaction to what is taking place and a response to what is taking place. Then, when you go a little deeper, you know, uh, you have this. Um, concept of anger, and a lot of people will talk about anger being a very negative emotion. You see, because again, as I insist in all my work, we've been told a pack of lies about all the emotions. Uh, We have a very paltry grasp of what emotion is, and um, uh, the majority of Western people are not in any way um, um, in, in relationship or in contact with their own emotions. So all you get is the play of words. You get the play of words back and forth uh, and the cliches. Oh, anger's wrong, hatred's wrong, uh, compassion this, compassion that. You know, righteous indignation is better than anger, uh, and so forth and so on. And so you get this bandying around of words without any true, really substantial meaning. And I can give you a good example about that. Uh, the family who has had their sons and daughters brought back in body bags from meaningless wars who've had their children raped by pedophile priests who've had their uh, entire family business you know eradicated by say the federal system um, who've been browbeaten by police who've suffered injustice in court who've had everything taken from them and robbed from them who have had uh, no sense of justice and my mind goes back to the jack uh, to the um, jack lemon movie missing People need to watch that and talk about whether this man should have righteous indignation or whether he should have had anger. You see? So we're talking about responses here. So it's very easy to talk about righteous indignation when the acts of confiscation and acts of extortion haven't reached your doorstep yet or when war and turmoil and murder and rape and, and, and violation and injustice haven't reached your comfortable you know, middle-class doorstep, then you hear talk about uh, righteous indignation while well, people are, are sipping their wine and, and lighting their cigars and, 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 and talking in totally abstract and general terms. But just like the Jack Lemmon character in the movie Missing, or just like the Howard Beale character in, in, in Network, when you truly see Not just see, but have involvement, direct participation with the kinds of violations that are going on. Like people in my country, and I can say this without even taking sides, the enormous atrocities where people are kneecapped, people are shot in their beds, women and children are blown to pieces. And you're telling me, you know, that you have righteous indignation? I mean, what am I meant to do? Look that up in some dictionary or something to get an interpretation of what that means? You're mad as hell. And, and that's what it is an actual, sane, rational response to a violation that is taking place on any level. When, when you, when you uh, bring a family member into the casualty ward of a hospital and, and, and they say, sorry, uh, you, your, your wife or husband or son or daughter died on our operating table. You know what I mean? And, and just people need to sit and think about all the atrocities that we read about. Are you going to talk to me about having righteous indignation? or say you're made ill at work through some industrial disease, you know, through exposure to mercury or some like in Bhopal in India or like in Chernobyl in, in Russia and like there's so many other industrial diseases that are going on and then slowly we find out and you're, you know, you have organ breakdown in your body and I mean, any any of the various in, horrendous injustices that have taken place, uh, we just go home and, uh, you know, say we have righteous indignation about these injustices. This is the luxury of of... You know, fools. And when you take it to the macro level of the crimes that the British government is responsible for, and when you take it to the level of local government and what they're responsible for, and we have a, we have a world coming down. We have police surveillance. We have police monitoring crowds, and, uh, and uh, whether you're supporting or not, Mass movements and mass demonstrations, let's also notice the fact that anger is so taboo in our society, isn't that one of the reasons why we have such a police control and such a watchdog jackboot control at uh, these demonstrations is because that's what the society is so afraid of. that's what um the big brother is so afraid of they They'd love you to have righteous indignation. they'd love you to work within the political pigsty. this is what they're be- you know this is what they're betting on because they have nothing to fear from that. So they make sure that that is completely you know, policed out of existence. And, and, and this, this, this whole idea of, of pacifying and, and, and having man have a very, very negative relationship with his own emotions so that he is completely misunderstanding them. And that even a man who has true anger is a threat to society. They don't know what to do with him because nobody in this Western world, is, as I've said in so many presentations and writings, has a faintest idea what a true, actual emotion is. They're not in relationship with it. They can't express it. And if they do express it, everyone thinks of them as a complete and utter nut. But to get back to the heart of your question, you heard me subdivide the question of anger. And that's because I thought about anger. I thought about these emotions a lot. And I've watched them in operation. And I will say that when it comes to anger, yes, of course, there is, absolutely, there is a uh, dysfunctional acting out, of anger. That's, that's a no-brainer, obviously. And that falls under the category of what I refer to as always as the red flame of anger because it's the anger that is uh, infantile. It's the anger that appears when people's ego needs, their own narcissistic basic ego needs, you see, are thwarted. And then they strike out like infants do. Obviously, that's not the anger that Michael Tasarin is addressing, you know, like somebody who's come to this, you know, five minutes ago obviously that's not what i'm talking about when i'm speaking about the specific response that very few books and very few films have ever dealt with properly uh, and and those who do are generally misunderstood just like when i'm talking about these things where it's misunderstood and so what is this thing about you know the warrior what is this thing about the you know the the um uh, the worry that we have about vengeance and justice. Now the whole world is owed this because of the violations that have been done. And as I've said time and time again, mass placarding, mass demonstration with a bunch of people who have a very thin understanding of what is really going on is obviously not gonna do anything. But a very conscientious, passionate, direct response from an educated group of people is, is the absolutely most frightening thing to the establishment. And that comes under what I refer to as the blue flame of anger, which is an intellectual anger, which is a, a response to being under attack. It is no different than the operations of the immune system and the operations of the white blood cells, you know, the lymphocytes and the, and the white corpuscles, when you're under attack. These emotions arise for certain reasons. In my work on you know, psychic vampirism and, uh, and other subjects, you know, we get into this even deeper, about certain emotions arising for certain reasons. And so, until society has sort of cultivated that and and basically, you know, laid down this very tepid, very bourgeois sort of righteous indignation line, you know, uh, which is, of course, again, born out of either a completely thin understanding of what the facts are, or it's born out of the, of, of the fact that the individual who has this righteous indignation is actually part of the problem and has, it will never be able to do anything about it. This is the, one of the reasons why you know, people have this, this very cool and cynical response is because they're actually either part of the problem or they're never in a, in a month of Sundays ever going to get with what is really about real change. And if you examine these people's lives, as I've said many times, instead of finding the anger and the criticism and the passion, what you find is a tremendously wet, damp, cold um, uh, cynicism, a completely selfish, narcissistic cynicism, which you know uh, throws water on real action. Uh, and you find these people in society and you find them very much put off by the work that people like myself do. They're always talking about it being dark. They're always talking about it being pessimistic. I'll tell you what dark is. Dark is ignorance. In fact, many people have even even philosophers have said that there is a correlation between darkness and ignorance. And believe me, those who speak against uh, and think what the work that people like myself is doing is somehow dark and spooky and weird and, 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 and a bit strange. These are individuals who are living themselves in a cloud of darkness, I haven't the faintest idea what real change means. These are the very individuals who are going and, and out of their misunderstandings, you know, voting in the worst tyrants possible and, and trying to sort of cop out of the real work that needs to be done. And, you know, you don't find this. And those people who've, who've had true violation in their life, true injustice, you do not hear them talking in these terms, in these passionless terms. And again, I refer people to the movie Missing with Jack Lemmon. You know, go and get that movie and, and watch it and see uh, put yourself in that character's position, or get out *Brotherhood of the Bell*. We have that movie; on, it's on Google and YouTube. *Brotherhood of the Bell* with Glenn Ford, you see, or *V for Vendetta*. Uh, and, and and look at these the movies. What these scriptwriters are trying to tell you about the, this incredible subject, and it's all like we said in the first show. That's a good good question to open. You know what we're talking about in this particular interview is it is all again is articulated to man's own relationship psychologically with his own emotions. If he doesn't understand his own emotions, if he doesn't understand uh, why these emotions arise and what is emotion and 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 how many levels there are of these different kinds of emotions. If he just believes what he's been told by the spin doctors, you know, then obviously he's never gonna have the right tool for the right occasion. It's just as simple as that.
0: Folks you're listening to the investigators report, I'm Gary Purefort, my very, very special guest, Mr. Michael Tesserion. This is our second part uh, discussion of his newest DVD entitled Architects of Control and we were just mentioning about the differentiation from the red anger and blue anger which should be our, our response in recognizing the right and true response to what is happening in our world today. And Michael you also touched on, which is something I read on your site as well, in in connection to psychic vampires, because and I, and I I bring up this particular point that you touched on, because it seems that there is a glamorization in our society, not only as of recent, but as for the past quite a few number of years, with the whole idea of the vampire. Kind of give us a, a, a brief overview of psychic vampirism, how it works, and have you actually witnessed it yourself?
3: well it's a fascinating subject I really hesitate to go in too much in depth to it because of how many um avenues it can take us down and also my work is still uh I'm still working uh, on you know a d v d and and work on this I've done lots of classes in it and, and other talks and writings but um it's something that uh, you know is is an aspect of the psychological uh, work you know uh, looking into basically all I can say in reference to what people might be familiar with what I've already done is that uh, this is a situation in which um, um, it, 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 is in a, it arises out of the concept of the inauthentic self. Uh, we've talked about this in other you know, writings and presentations about man living an inauthentic life. And of course, there's different degrees of inauthentic life. It's like a spectrum. Some people are, you know, getting it together, they're not so bad. Um, They're looking deeply at at, at, at different um, reasons, you see, why they're not in selfhood, why they're not they don't have strong boundaries, why why life isn't working for them and they're getting with it and they're progressing and, and every day is a new day of adventure and discovery. So they're not quite as bad, you know, they're looking for the authentic life which is of course connected to a man's selfhood, the purpose and reason of why he's here. And then, as I've shown in my work, on pathology and how it works with the conspiracy, you have the other end of the spectrum of the, basically the self-murdered person. This is somebody who, is, who has no spirit at all, going not with a religious idea or interpretation of spirit but with a psychological idea of spirit, which is that spirit is not something you're given at birth, it's not something you come into this world with, it's something you create for yourself through the experiences that you have. Soul, spirit you know, is something you develop yourself it's something it's like a, that you bring alive from within yourself you're given the spark of life by the almighty uh, intelligence but spirit is something you gain from your experiences here in this world just as everything else in your body grows from a you know natal state into maturity so does your spiritual self it's not just installed at the moment of birth and and there you have it but unfortunately there are people who either because of again, terrible, terrible, terrible violations that happen to them in, their, in this life, or to some other warped psycho- psychological re- reasoning, you see, uh, um, are self-murdered. And we have these emotionally self-murdered people in their millions walking around. Uh, in fact, if we really showed the statistics, we'd probably be horrified at just how many people, you see, are not living in a truly, they're not alive. In a moral or spiritual sense, they just have the mask, they just have the persona. And then these individuals are very adept at living off the energies and light of other people. Uh, it's a, so, you know, that's why the term vampirism has been used. It's quite an accurate term, actually, in many ways. Um, and it also ties into this whole idea of um, the uh, f- figures that we find at the top of the hierarchy, you know, who would. Would would be so toxic, like we mentioned in the previous interview we did, that the problem with these people is that, see, they are also self-murdered. They're also toxic, and therefore they require not only the false religion as a front, as a cover, as some sort of sham to hang on to, to give the, uh, just like you put marzipan on a cake, just like you put a you know a false mask on somebody. Uh, they require this because they don't have any of the real light. They don't have any of the real spiritual energy, so they require a sort of counterfeit camouflage, you know, um, just like the tiger hides in the long grass. And also, they very much require status. They require the uh, power that they have over other people, not power over the self, because they don't have any power over the self. There is no selfhood. The self has been murdered, self-murdered. These are deeply self-sadistic people, and therefore, you know, they require the utter trappings of control and, and power. And of course, uh, you know, it goes thousands of years ago back to the Taoists and Taoists and, and and the great philosophers. They always spoke about that the man who has true power doesn't require any control over other people. So the very manic need for these people to set up these exploitative edifices, as we said corporations are psychopathic, meaning the controllers, the people who, who create all sorts of corporations. Uh, I, I believe there's a great deal of psychopathy behind these different fraternal orders, uh, maybe not the street level masonry, but certainly on the higher levels. Um, my goodness, if you've studied these or- orders as much as I have, it goes without saying that there's a psychopathy there. You see so it just like any corporation, just like any organization, and just like any individual who has great status who 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 absolutely literally will jump through hoops to have the world bestow physical awards physical medals, physical honors, um, and so on and so forth, you see, physical wealth, because they have no wealth within. So you also meet this on the more, let's say, street level, humble level of people walking around you. And of course, you won't notice it. These are people, you know, you can't pull out a meter with a little, a nice little needle that will, you know, like some sort of, you know, tricorder out of Star Trek or something like that, where happily and beautifully and luckily. You know, Mr. Spock will be able to go, watch out, Captain, psychic vampire, loose. And everybody can have their, you know, um, boundaries up. Unfortunately, people are married to such individuals. People work beside them every day of their lives. People give birth to, to such creatures. Uh, people have them as neighbors. People have them as superiors. You know, and, and there is, unfortunately, there is no meter. And the only meter that you have is your own intuition and your own deductive abilities to, up, to observe them very closely to find out, okay, is there, you know, is there something slightly different here? But of course, this, is, this kind of knowledge you see is very absent in the world. And we're still at a sort of a spinner rack level of psychology when it comes to analyzing these kinds of people. Psychology does know about them to a degree, but it is very paltry. It's not in depth yet, not too much and so there's a lot we need to know about this kind of you know, person and how they might operate and how this kind of vampirism works on all of its different levels and this is what you know, education I'm committed to very fascinating subject and as I said we do have a meter we, we do have the ability these people will betray themselves but we have to be observant of that fact and in the study of the psychic vampire we're actually studying humanity because as I said it's deconstructive once you understand what a human being is not you have a greater understanding of maybe what a human being is by the by the analysis of what it is not all the various corrupt forms you see all the various counterfeit forms uh once those are analyzed and discarded like we said in the you know the previous interview once you've eliminated the untrue you know, you'll be left with a a sense of the true and this is essential in some of these studies that uh, have to do with the inauthent- inauthentic life, with the systems of control, um, tying in exactly to what we said last time about the inability of a psychopath to see holarchy. Well, you see, the psychopath will simply not see it. So no matter where they look, they will see hierarchy. And that is already, and the fact that they're adamant about it is the sign of their dementia. So it's just like a person who's got Parkinson's, you know, it's, it's no point expecting them to be able to, you know, hold the knife and fork. Unfortunately, the body functions just don't allow for that. So, in exactly the same way as a physical ailment will preclude somebody from climbing the stairs or cooking a meal, you know, or or or, or bathing themselves. So, in exactly the same way as a mental disease is the same sort of, you know, hindrance. It's just not possible. You know, for a person with with, with one leg, you know, to to you know, be the, be, beat the four minute mile. It's just not possible. So in a physical disability, we understand it, but with a mental disability, we don't understand it. But we need to start understanding that people with that kind of a disability are not gonna be clear and deep in their understanding of the nature of the universe. It's simply not possible. Their understanding of life, their projections upon other people, their understandings of other people's motives, their understanding of how the systems of the world work are going to be deeply flawed these are not rational people and I don't care how many university degrees they happen to have, that has no bearing upon the facts at all. If a person is demented, they can still be intelligent enough to jump through hoops to get some worldly awards. In fact, this is what you often find with people who are megalomaniacs. They do possess enough skill to be able to you know, uh, manipulate people and to go along to get along in the school situation or maybe win awards politically you see, so that they end up getting power because these people want power more than any other thing so they're willing to sacrifice they're willing to do hard work they're willing to manipulate and worm their way up you know until they have an actual sense of power this turns them on this is very very important to most of the potentates and the the criminal syndicates of the world you see who operate in such a sadistic manner not caring how much genocide how much mayhem how much misery they bring to the world Again, if we do not know how to isolate a um, psychopath, that's about as good as not being able to identify a mad tiger hiding in the long grass who's ready to just eat all your sheep and, and kill your you know, children and abduct and murder and, and just go mad. Some wild, crazed out beast, you're in exactly the same predicament. And this is unfortunately where we find ourselves today.
0: There was something that you you pointed out in the DVD also, in almost in connection with that, as far as where we could be headed in terms of you know this control apparatus, which is one the annihilation of consciousness. Because you mentioned the the difference of the authentic versus the inauthentic, and with the annihilation of conscience, you talked about the usage of pharmaceuticals and And medicine, and as you were describing when I was viewing the dvd and and as you were describing this particular aspect of the presentation, I kept thinking because there was one segment where you had a clip from a talk show where a husband was saying that they were talking about Prozac, and the husband was talking with with the host uh, in connection to his wife he says, well." Isn't your wife better? She doesn't get angry anymore. He says yes. Well, isn't she more manageable, and more, uh, more agreeable with you? He said yes. But he looked at her and said, "But that's still not my wife." And so you see in that incident a prime illustration of the annihilation, or a, a sense of inauthenticity, of a person's individuality. Talk about the usage of pharmaceuticals, which you also fused with alchemy, and how you made those connections even with our past historical characters in the rock industry such as Morrison, Hendrix and uh, Osborne and others.
3: Well yes I, I, I remember that scene and uh, I must say it's one of the most moving scenes both me and Henrik and anyone that we've sat with and watched um, the DVD through both uh, mechanically in order to you know make the, the show and also later as uh, just uh, sitting and watching it objectively that scene is horrifying and yet incredibly illuminating, the scene that you just referred to and I'm glad you brought it up um, because, you see, and even if you watch the mannerisms of the wife who is on the drug, you know, um, you see this incredibly effervescent, confident, happy person, yet the husband, you know, is thinking, that where's where's the real life you know so in other words what i've got here what he's got here is something on that conforms on paper to a societal model this model which is the theme of our work in the architects of control where did that model come from who has contrived to create this societal model of what is normal is it the schools is it how how they have you know uh, set that up and is it the media in which they've given us these models and you're quite right we'll get to the idea of who these rock star models are and how that's all contrived as well, and not all but a great deal of it being contrived. But yes, is there something about the fact that we now are living in a simulacra, becoming more and more artificial, having big brother dictate who and what we can be, what we have in our relationship to our emotions and our relationships to other people and the political correctness that's all around which takes away our own common sense. All of these factors you see that move us towards this sort of perfect man, this perfect uh, new man concept and then if you fit that model, he or she uh, fits that model on paper and all aspects of true individuality, all aspects of true imaginative um, expression, unless of course it's commercially viable, uh, are erased and eroded and you you fit this nice little prepackaged basically artificial model, then you're considered normal. And of course, let's not even get into the whole thing of this horrendous, you know, concept of the modern world in which it's fix it is broken fix it. And meaning that, you know, you fix it with pharmaceuticals, you fix it with this uh, superficial topical stuff without going to the root of why all these maladies arise, all of this. But even if you if you fit this model on paper, then you're considered normal. But as many of the, the post Freudians like Arno Gruen and other psychologists have shown, especially R. D. Lang and Wilhelm Reich, so many of these people have shown, even Freud himself showed that look, if society is abnormal, if society is neurotic, uh, if society is uh, violent and and abnormal, by your conforming to these models, then aren't you conforming to an abnormal model? And is that why we have abnormal people, abnormal emotional people, abnormal intellectual people, abnormally morally walking around in the world? Uh, and religion has, is, is definitely having a hard time trying to then pick up the pieces and make sure that people remain within a moral framework, and of course that gets weaker and weaker and weaker all the time. Or religion has to become even more and more, you see, uh, sort of uh, in its own way, rigid and uncompromising in order to do something about this ter- tremendous uh, falling off, you see. So one thing affects the other, you see, it's all part of a fractal. You can't affect one bead on the thread without, you know, affecting other, other, other beads. So, uh, the ship of state becomes utterly chaotic. Everything's upside down, you know, so it becomes like Alice in Wonderland. So, in that scene, that's what you got. That you had a person who was running away from her emotions. She was definitely not going to look at them for whatever reasons, because of her own past or because of her own relationships, and mostly it is to do with the relationship with the self. The person starts suffering tremendous anxiety. Uh, that anxiety prevents them from working right, so then you have stress at work because you can be professionally compromised. And therefore, once stress builds up, it's a feedback loop. You never seem to be able to get out of the loop. Um, And, of course, don't we know about approval? Seeking approval from other people is one of the most stressful things that could possibly be imagined. Living up to the false models that society is demanding. So before we even fail to live up to it, which is one syndrome of, of, you know, problematics, we're even trying to live up to it, which is already the first problem that you, you even spend your whole life in comparison you know, and trying to live up to these unbelievable you know, fake models that people are putting up there for us in regards of professionalism and the status and looks. I mean, all the way down the line, they're, they're waving this stuff in front of us. And then the more pernicious result is that when we find that we can't live up to these We don't say, well, that that lets me out, I'm free then, I don't need to be doing this, I'll just be as I am. No, we become neurotic people because it's the super it's the conscience within us that puts so heavy demands upon us that the little ego in the end just can't do it and then feels terribly, terribly browbeaten in exactly the same way as some overseer, you know, punishing at work, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough or some sort of father figure or some very punitive voice. We all carry that voice around in our heads And so, after a lifetime of that kind of, you know, um, punishing voice within our mind, which again is technically our conscience, uh, and the sense of guilt that we live under, we can't we can't handle it. So there's a break. the The human being becomes neurotic, and then if you're neurotic, you can't function in society. So society, knowing this, knowing that more and more people are becoming neurotic, it's not just something of the last ten years; it's many decades old now. They then prescribe these pills. That's what they are. They're just the Happy drug manufacturers—they're the, you know, the the harlequins, the pied pipers who come along to 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 fix you from the outside. But what this does, of course, is it might make you conform to a certain model. It might bring you so far out into the surface of yourself that you know you're totally estranged now from your unconscious. You're estranged from who you are as a true human being. You've completely lost your purpose. You're totally a conformist. And only the closest people around you are going to notice that you're hollow and that there's something missing. And that is, again, a definition of the self-murdered person. But their saturai, their bliss, comes from the fact that now they are the perfect worker. Now they are the perfect um, robot. Now they are the perfect, you see, uh, participant. Um, the perfect slave. The perfect... Um, number, you know, like a Patrick McGowan showed in The Prisoner, you know, you have now learned to conform, you've now learned to perform as the world sees you and everything that's being created today, that's basically what a new world order is, that's what the global community is in its essence. It doesn't Even if we forget about who's creating it and what kind of evil is motivating them, you know, that, that kind of, and we've seen it, we've seen it in science fiction, we've seen it in, in portrayed in many science fiction and other futuristic films that in that uh, sort of Orwellian conformist dystopia, you know, and believe me, it's not going to be a utopia because it's impossible for demented people to inherit anything positive. So this is just total fiction, pipe dreaming. As we said in a previous interview, they always talk about order because that's the last thing that they really have inside. And so it's all rhetoric. It's all propaganda. It's not an order. It doesn't even look like an order. Hierarchy is ultimately not order hierarchy is a violation of the true order, but if you don't know that the true order exists and if you've never happened to study hierarchy and you don't know the, the, how that nature really functions, well, then you're going to be so conditioned by what man has created, what the scientists are saying, and all these ancient, useless models of the universe and of how we participate, that, of course, you're going to see hierarchy there because that's, you know, it's like Vernon Howard, the American philosopher, he said, the man who does not understand what it means to be under psychic hypnosis is already under it, and that is an extremely profound statement. And it solves, you know, what we're t- it solves. It makes a lot of sense when you look around the world. Then what you were talking about is the idea that the society, in order to give us this conformity, are very adept at throwing up the people, the various people's champions. And in the DVD, we didn't have time to explore them all, but certainly the politicians, and and then we also explored in the pop culture. And the pop culture is very important because that also deals with the youth, and the youth are very impressionable. The youth don't want conformity, of course, because because their, their energies are over the top, so they are looking for rebellion, they're looking for iconoclasm. And therefore, it's very vital that the society, the controllers put up false models of that because the last thing they really want is a true revolutionary, a true uh, you know Malcolm X type of person who's going to totally go against the system and really try to do some fundamental changes. That's the, that is the last thing that they want and they've had people like that rise up and they've known the danger that it can uh, potentially it can have and therefore they put their own Pied Pipers up there with the image, the fashion of being radical, rebellious and different, five minutes later. They're up at Buckingham Palace, you know, at Prince Charles's uh, birthday party, or they're down on their blinking knees. Uh, we always, already talked about how it's reprehensible for an American to, to do that, but even leaving that aside, uh, you'll see even find these pop culture people, one minute with uh, their designer, you know beards and their long, straggly hair outside uh, 10 Downing Street, browbeating the Queen or browbeating the Prime Ministers. And the next minute, they're receiving the highest awards of the land from those kinds of people. Is there something wrong with this picture? Uh, Anything right with a picture of the punk movement wearing the hammer and sickle uh, T-shirts and earrings and piercing themselves and having these ugly pictures of the Queen with her ears pierced and and everything like that that helps vent a whole culture, a subculture's pent-up, frustrations and the music of course helps to do this and the next thing you find is that these people are living like Pasha's in Bel Air, you know, and fleets of Harley Davison's and whatnot, and receiving awards and, and, and working for charities all over the world and shaking hands with Prime Ministers and Presidents and, and owning corporations for goodness sake. I mean, does anybody ever want to wake up and find out what on earth is going on here? This seems to happen as a matter of course. And that even other whistleblowers from within the music business who come out and tell you what's going on, you don't hear it, you don't believe it. So we've got something off here. And it's very important then to look at all the different ways in which this particular cult of Dionysus, because again, this is not a new thing, this is a very old thing. You, you not only have the king and the heads of state, but you've got the jester. And you've got the person who's the entertainer. And you've got the person who, you know, uh, the, the sophistry, the sophists who go out there and because the people are are you know not sophisticated you have the dumb show this is the propaganda of the ancient world in which the minstrels and the bards and even the uh, the plays were put on to sort of mimic what was going on in the court well that's what you have today they know you're not going to get it intellectually they know nobody reads uh, so they insinuate the media and certain popular figures with this Information that they want to have disseminated, and the expertise you see of MTV and yes, of PBS. Uh, again, uh, we were just talking earlier about this righteous indignation. Well, that's where you need to go when you have righteous indignation. Just watch, just watch PBS. You know, then you'll be very happy. You'll be in your element. And these are these are marvelous people. You know, people for dumbing it down and spreading it thin and putting it out there. And and. Uh, and basically disseminating this lie in an extremely sophisticated way it varies of course based on um media group and it varies based on even country but that's what it is it's the old Sergei Eisenstein Vladimir Lenin you know uh soviet i uh, understanding of use the media use the people's champions um, uh to dumb people down and this is this is the kind of thing that you You have going all over the world. Uh, There's there's been many movies that have brought this out as well about how this particular game works.
0: Another thing that you pointed out, and just to kind of make a comparison or an example of what you just stated in terms of the contradictions of these rock figures who engage in these charities like for example Bob Gildorf he was the one who began the whole idea of aid for Ethiopia aid for Africa the band-aid which did the Christmas song back in the 80's Uh, and then from that started the other efforts on behalf of third world countries and then we have farm aid and and other kinds of aids going on but interestingly enough Gildorf was the spearhead of that project of aiding ethiopia because great britain was a country that raided africa and was somewhat responsible for their plundering but yet we see him in your dvd like you said getting an, an award and basically yucking it up with the queen i mean kinda of touch on that a little bit
3: well that's right these people um... we have to be cautious and a uh, bit on alert when we see these people who are meant to be the people's champions, one minute talking about revolution and one minute talking about the crimes of government, and then the next thing, you know, they're owning corporations, they're given status, they're either up at Buckingham Palace, you know, getting knighthoods, some of them quite elevated knighthoods, um, and it's not just awards for great talent or great services to the arts or whatever, you know, which is sometimes nice to receive or whatever. We're talking about, you know, a bit of a dichotomy here. That these are individuals who, like the Pied Piper, they take you on a long journey um, around the block and up the through the fields, and everyone thinking, yeah, these guys, you know, they mean business. We're going to see some real change here. They're going to get into the dirty, dirty little secrets and dirty big secrets of of government that we're going to see real change. And the next thing you know, they're walking straight up to the houses of the same oligarchs, the same aristocrats, to receive these awards. People only need to look at the guest list at you know, Prince Charles's last birthday. I think it was last November. Uh, to see the kinds of how it's sprinkled with all of these different, you know, uh, pop stars and and uh, personalities—they're very well known in the mainstream—and I've always, from time of back in the '70s, late '70s and '80s, had questions about these people and about their allegiances because I didn't see any true rebellion or true iconoclasm about them at all. Um, now, of course, as I said, that doesn't mean that everyone who goes to get an award from the Queen is in, is in some way complicit. And it certainly doesn't mean that everyone in the rock business who just happens to wear black or have a bit of a dark image is also, you know, a true Luciferian or whatever. So one has to take every individual case as it comes. But over the years when we see the A-list of these people and how closely affiliated they are with the oligarchy of England, I've certainly got questions there. I'm really interested to find out why that is. People like Sean Connery, for instance, you know, who, who has been given a host of very illustrious awards by the French government, and uh, you know, one wonders why, is there some sort of Knights-Templar connection there? Is he connected the old Templar families, is there something behind the scenes that we don't know about, where all of these incredible honors are given, and now we have people like Angela, Jolie, you know, being given all of these uh, positions of authority within the United Nations, again, people's champions, they're put in front of us originally uh, to get our allegiance. To get the young people to give them allegiance, and then the next minute they're around they're shaking hands with the, with the worst you know syndicate murderers, these top politicians and and cow towing and uh, looking for you know status and authority within those circles. This to me is a highly spurious and very very dodgy, and it it, it sometimes makes my blood boil to see it because I know it's so fake uh, These are people you know if they knew the histories of the world, if they knew what these criminal syndicates were doing. They would never go near them and 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 I've always said in my work it's reprehensible for any American who calls himself an American to do it. You know what I mean it's just it's outrageous that this would happen, and you have many dignitaries from Giuliani to Bush to Clinton, you know to, there's a long line of people, swartzkov Colin Powell. there's a long list of people who've been given awards by the royal family, and that to me is is tantamount to treason, actually. In an American context and it's a little better it's a little better in any other way and you're right these these individuals suddenly own corporations i mean one minute these punk the punk movement or other rock personalities are wearing hammer and sickle talking about humanity and free this, free that, we're behind the ANC, we're behind the IRA, we're behind the Native American Indian movements, we're for peace and love and granola, and the next thing, they themselves own vast corporations, are seen getting knighthoods from the Queen and and sitting on the boards of big giant corporations, you see. I mean, wait wait a minute, is there something wrong with this picture? In my my reading of it, there, there is, and Bob Geldof especially is a very, very, to me, dark character. There's been murders around him, and there's been campaigns of cover-up to hide his complicity. There's, there's scandal. and I, His wife was murdered. He's connected to the um, death of uh, Michael Henchard from In Excess. And there's a smoke stream, a big cover-up to cover up his d- complicity. And God knows what other seedy things he's involved in. He's a most loathsome character. Actually, he comes out of Canada, actually. Uh, he's only partly Irish. And these bonos and people like that, you know, I've got big questions about who they are and the kind of imagery and symbolism they were using even in the earliest days, uh, groomed, initiated, because remember, they also have to prove themselves as well. So they're, they're put through a certain uh, level of uh, initiation in exactly the way movies like Brotherhood of the Bell and other movies show you. And how these people's champions are used, let's turn to the movie, even License to Kill, one of the James Bond movies. Those movies, I, I believe, are whistleblowing movies even though they've got a lot of preposterous elements to those films. If people watch them with educated eyes, especially go to License to Kill with Timothy Dalton and you have the Wayne, uh, 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 Wayne Newton plays an interesting character in that movie where he is a, a religious evangelist, a, sort of a, a people's champion character, you know. And they show how he's being used to manipulate people to give allegiance and how to give money and donate you see, and how these corporate criminals and these mafioso types use a public face. Now, we know that this public face has been used. You know, even the Dirty Harry movies have brought this out. There's been so many movies have gone into this, how they, there'll be a public front. Uh, the police know this. The, the, the police authorities know that there's criminal conspiracies and that front men are used. And it's no different with a Dionysian cult. It's no different with these people. You know, And we have to have serious questions because the last thing that the system wants is for a true rebellious iconoclast, somebody like a Malcolm X, to come out with charisma, you see, to turn people on to something different, to investigate things, to potentially uh, very much endanger the status quo. They know that this has happened in times past. They know it can happen again. They know that there are truly rebellious rock bands out there and truly rebellious characters who deeply care about the injustices that are going on, and they do expose it in their music. So the last thing they want is for somebody like that to really stand up, you see. So they try to compromise those bands so that they don't make it, or that the controversy destroys them, or drugs, you see, destroy them. Um, This is what uh, Alex Constantine, in his book, Covert War Against Rock, when he shows about the death of Jimi Hendrix and the death of Bran Jones and Jim Morrison and also Bob Marley, you see. uh, These are very likely to be assassinations uh, in which these rebellious characters, because they know that uh, Jimi Hendrix, for instance, was a big supporter of the Black Panthers and black freedom in America, and this irritated, you see, the... uh, the special forces and the uh, different um, uh, FBI movements and the uh, counterintelligence groups in America. Same with Bob Marley. He was a thorn in their side, you see. They don't want any minority person from the backwoods. They don't want anybody from the gutter climbing out with an incredible charisma, with an incredibly God-inspired, you know, energy about them, with a tremendous talent. He's like solar children, and they want to... Up them. They want to co-op. they want to co-opt those people so that they can be used as Pied Pipers. And when they're approached with all the money and the women and the and the gold and the fame, and there are certain men like the Jimi Hendrixes of the world, go well. You can shove that where the sun don't shine because I'm not going to buy it. That then makes these controllers mad as hell, and they used to respond by even campaign of assassination. This is what we go into in the DVD, and it, I believe it very much was in the case of uh, Jim Morrison, Brian Jones, uh, you know, Bob Marley and Jimi Hendrix, and there's a lot of other people as well that uh, they do this to. And also then on the other side, don't forget that when you do, when you are a Bono and you are a Geldof and, you, and you're rubbing your hands with glee, that now you can have, you know, diamond, uh, diamonds in your boots, as they say, and you can have all of these trappings. They want to make sure that they shower those people with awards so that it sends a ripple effect message down to all the other lice and all the other punks all the other creatures moving up within that movement to say, here, here, here's how you play the game. We're not even stopping you from wearing ripped jeans and being a bit of rebellious. It's okay if you're George Michael or your Prince or your you know, Michael Blinken Jackson will allow you a certain amount of rebellious imagery because it's nothing but imagery. As long as you know, you know, how the game is really played and, and, and when, when to lower your eyes, then we'll shower you with awards You'll never see a day in court, even if you should, you should, know, your excesses should go too far. You'll never see a day in court because we'll protect you. And as long as you keep good with us, keep faith with us, you'll never be fed to the lions, you see. So we've got major questions about these people because they are Pied Pipers, they are way layers, and it's important for the young to know about it and to uh, be analyzing their lyrics and analyzing their symbolism so that they're not entrapped.
0: Well, that, you know, we have about... Um about seven minutes left and i want to touch on a question that i asked you after our first show off the air because it seems to all draw to this conclusion first with the annihilation of cells the disassociate behavior the replacement of human beings with other types of human beings if not even robotic human beings then i with that being culminated as you were running that down and as i was coming toward the end of the dvd i began to think of our horror genre in regards to zombie pictures such as the remake of dawn of the dead such as the twenty eight days and twenty eight weeks later films uh, and even the george romero films where we actually witness mankind devouring each other and i began to look is there a connection between this imagery that we're being uh, suggested or being exposed to and this nefarious plot?
3: Yeah, those movies are very interesting. Um, I'd studied film myself for about 10 years in America um, didn't have the finances or resources or ability to take it you know where I wanted to go and to go to actual film school. I was able to only do it on a community college level and then from there on I you know studied it assiduously on my own. And uh, I read a lot of, uh, of course, film book, film critical books, and many of them dealt with these uh, types of movies that you're talking about in a very positive light. They actually were incredible to read about how the directors had a very specific, you know, uh, point that why the zombie devours the the human flesh, why the zombies are often milling around in a big mall type situation, Uh, you know, a lot of parallels to show that it's not really about zombies, these are the grotesque elements of the film, but actually, you know, the filmmaker's talking about this is the kind of consumerism. And these are comments on the consumerism and the artificiality and the utterly selfless person, the person who is living on the surface of themselves, the person who is addicted to fashion, who is obsessed with fame, you know, and is a totally, utterly um, psychically demented and deranged individual. This is what we're seeing in the young girls now how they try to live up to these models, the models of the models, and how all these rotten companies coming out of Europe these fashion companies you see who i believe are thoroughly controlled by the illuminati i look at their symbolism is enough to tell you that we i've gone into that in great depth in my dvd the subversive use of sacred symbolism where i show how the symbols that they use are necrophiliac and anti-feminine and also it, lots of symbols like of the red rose and other you know well-known masonic and illuminati symbols all the way through all the astrological symbolism we looked at all of that in the commercial space and this, again, gives these illusions of wealth, these illusions of prosperity. Uh, now they don't even hide it. They can show characters on sitcoms now that are actually loathsome moral creatures and, and happily show you that this is the way to be right now, to be treacherous and deceptive, you see, and narcissistic. You know, even Steven Spielberg, his latest uh, sitcom, he's cr- creating a sitcom you know, about a person who's disassociated, in which the the main character is actually a schizoid person with about three or four different personalities. For goodness' sake, it's almost become a joke, and we know that the various TV shows have become a little darker, a little more forensic based, a little bit more uh, necroph- necrophiliac. Actually, you know, this is a, we've seen a trend of this, and um, there's it goes back to when. We see these zombie movies. They they have this message, but of course, don't forget that uh, in the horror genre, there's a lot of whistleblowing as well. Uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea, of course, but you know, there's a lot of whistleblowing there about society and about what man is when the mask has come down, because this is what you, you know. You get you get some directors who who um, want to look at that. It's like the old Alfred Hitchcock era, you know, but a bit modernized with some of the more grotesque elements of, of modern, modern cinema. But I believe these movies are very powerful comment um, on what's going on in our world today, definitely.
0: Well, Michael, we are running down the stretch. We only have a few minutes left, and with those few minutes that we have um, remaining, I think it's also noteworthy for us to um, really, really make the case for our listeners to go out and get this DVD. We have a link to your website, which is architectsofcontrol.com and also in addition to the links that we've had for quite some time now to your website michaeltossarian.com um but again folks I really urge you this is a must view DVD if you thought Zeitgeist was a great piece of work this is 10 times better if you thought Esoteric Agenda was a great piece of work Architects of Control is a DVD that you certainly must um, get your hands on. And with two minutes left, Michael, I'll let you close it out with some parting comments and other additional
3: information. Well, uh, mostly to say that this is an ongoing series. We'll be doing others. We're just about to begin filming on the the next one in the series. Um, And you're right, it does go deeper than a lot of this other topical stuff because, again, knowing the problem is one thing, Knowing the potential solutions is another. The diagnose, the diagnosis, the diagnostics needs to continue to always analyze what the problems are. But We always have to be solution focused and we have to be very wary of getting into cliques and we have to be wary of sort of stopping on the road of discovery. Uh, this is not possible in, in any subject that really matters. is an ongoing discovery, an ongoing discovery and uh, what my work is especially, um, you know, noted for and emphasizes is that not to leave consciousness at the door. These things that are happening in the world, the phenomena are simply not just economic. They're not just social based. They're not just a, you know political based. The, we have to understand what the connections are to psychology and also to pathology. And again, to emphasize that you know we're not Luddites, We're not against technology. We're not we're not against TV. We're not about success. We're, we're not about against any of this stuff. It's just that that kind of power in the wrong hands is what we're against. And therefore, you know, like anything, like any subject needs to be diagnosed properly. And uh, that, that requires a lot of scope. You can't just focus on one particular area. So the more eclectic we remain, I think the better. And, and people need to open their minds, use their synapses, you know. Uh, I believe in the underlying intelligence of people that they, they can handle it. They can handle all of this stuff and get savvy with it all. And and go from there. It's a fascinating study, and should be always seen as an adventure without panic, without any type of pessimism, and without any type of anxiety or fear. Because that's exactly what the is the mind killer, and it's exactly what Big Brother want, wants us to be in that state. You know, we, they they do not want us to be in psychic immunity. They want us to be in a total state of anxiety, and and this is what people need to very much watch out for. This is a journey of discovery. It's what our life is all about, and there should never be a trace of fear, or pessimism, or or doubt at all. There should be plenty of skepticism when it comes to the content, you know, because we're not professing ourselves to be right or anything like that. But, you know, this is, again, an alternative type of research and people have to adjust their settings. It's it's going to be controversial and it's not going to be, you know, mainstream. It's not going to be something that's, uh they're, for, you know, naturally exposed to or familiar with, you know. So, but again, thanks, Gary, for the opportunity, you know, uh, to elaborate upon the creation. We've had a lot of questions from people, so it's, it's great to have the, the time to go into depth into some of the areas of the making of the DVD series. I really appreciate that
0: and we certainly appreciate you as always coming on the show and like I said I think to to check in with you once a year is certainly worth that time of waiting because when those months go by there's always some great projects that you engage in um, in your interviews, in your seminars, your talks, uh, your DVDs and many things so Again, I urge the listeners, please get your hands on this DVD. There's also some special features in the DVD where Michael is interviewed discussing the making of the film as well in terms of the things we discussed here on the show. Well, again, Michael, we thank you for being with us. and